I'm Greg Johnson. Welcome to Countercurrents Radio. We're here to welcome Tommy Robinson back. Welcome him back to Twitter. Welcome him back to the streets of London. If you haven't already heard, Tommy Robinson led a bunch of British patriots into another trap today. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the whole history of this guy, as far as we know. If the conversation lags a little, we'll just share our favorite Tommy Robinson grifts and gaffes from over the years. I was looking at countercurrents and I found that we've published 20 articles on Tommy Robinson over the years. He's a bad actor and we've had some very, very good writers taking him apart. So this is important though, because the last time we really had a discussion of Tommy Robinson was way back in 2018. And I have polling evidence that indicates that fully half my audience came to countercurrents since 2018. So there are a whole lot of new people out there. And I'm sure cynics like Tommy Robinson are counting on the P.T. Barnum adage, there's a sucker born every minute. He's taking advantage of the fact that there are so many new people coming into the nationalist scene who don't know his priors, who don't know his character, who don't know his history. These are the kinds of people we would like to help prevent from being led Pied Piper-like by this guy into the next Charlottesville or other traps. So I want to welcome a number of people to the show. First of all, I want to welcome Horace. Horace, this is your first visit on Countercurrents Radio, and it's a great pleasure to have you here. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. Good to meet you, and uh, thanks for having me on. I also want to invite back Endeavor. Endeavor, welcome back. Always a pleasure. Thank you for, uh, thanks for having me on again. Great. And finally, Pox Populi. He's a very frequent guest, but he's just been deadly on Twitter recently, <laughs> including having Tommy Robinson and Douglas Murray and his sites, the people who have been inciting this kind of trap that we've now seen sprung today for white Britons. So welcome, guys. So Horace, can you give us a little background on what's happened today in London? Okay. Um, yeah, please tell me if I'm coming through all right. Uh, otherwise, uh, I do have a slightly bad internet here. But um, yeah, the um, I hope also the chat will help me. There's a bit of fog of war today, and I've, I've been on and off Twitter. You know, that's my main news source. But um, as I understand it, uh, the demonstration, there's been demonstrations for the last few weeks uh, supporting Palestine. It's just a massive bunch of foreigners and commies, obviously. Um, today, or this weekend being Remembrance, well, Remembrance Day is today, and uh, sorry, Armistice Day is today, and Remembrance Sunday is tomorrow. The people who object to these marches, a lot of the people who've been calling for these marches to be banned, um, are saying, well, on this weekend, it's special. We need to defend the cenotaph, meaning just have a presence there. As I understand it, right, that's the bit that Tommy Robinson led today. Um, he he went there with, um, there was some, the police at first were trying to stop people getting to the cenotaph. There was a scuffle over that. People broke through the police lines, but then I think they got kettled within the police lines. Uh, I don't know if kettled is an international term, you know, like surrounded, like boxed in by the police, ring of steel around you, keeping you in. Uh, that can happen to all sorts of demonstrators. Um, but yeah, that, that, that appears to have happened, albeit not for long. Then I think Tommy Robinson went home, um, but presumably supporters of his or, or provocateurs, we're not really sure, but they've carried on roaming London 
for hours afterwards and it looks like they're getting into fights some of them are trying to get at the palestinians some of them well obviously they're wherever they appear the, the police are um well biased against them um i'm not sure exactly what's caused these these scuffles between you know british guys and, and the cops but there have been some scuffles what is really notable about it is the media we, we all predicted this all week long obviously but the media had a prepared story which was that the far right of the problem Obviously, yeah, the left-wing media, even even the Telegraph and some of the right-wing media as well, who are just, they're all Zionists, obviously. They have all been um, joining in on this. A lot of, I noticed the Telegraph, which is a Tory paper, um, quoting Nick Lowell's of, of Hope Not Hate. I won't go into that, but Nick Lowell's is, a, is, a, is an evil figure. I mean, he's a pure enemy. And, uh, yeah, so the right-wing media, well, the Daily Mail is one of the worst. They're ostensibly right-wing. They've been condemning... The British guys, they're probably condemning the Palestinians as well. But it's overall, it's a, it's a PR fail, as everyone expected. I will say, just to give my own emotional reaction to it, is that I was quite... When I saw those guys who got to the cenotaph and then held a you know a respectful vigil there, which people do at 11am on 11th of November in, in England, that was dignified. And I was quite proud of them. And I was also quite proud of them for not taking no from the police even like putting us you know tommy robinson is our enemy there's no doubt about that some of the guys who follow him are good people even now i mean i'd say they're misinformed i'd say they're misinformed about him about israel about all sorts of things but they are patriots a lot of them and they achieved what they tried to do today i'm a little bit encouraged by that so i'm not totally negative on it but the media have got what they want what i also said on twitter is that it may not matter uh this thing of blaming things on the far right and making them the story, you can only play that game so many times. I, I think the, there's a, a great many people who are not like us. They don't commentate. They don't make videos or anything like that. They, but they are interested in these things all around the country. And they will not have seen the so-called far right as the bad guys today, mostly. I don't think they will see the police and these hostile Islamic foreign protests as the problem, by and large. So I don't think it's the win that the left-wing media think it is, but it's something of a win, you know? So that's that's my take on it so far. That's great. Everybody predicted this. We See, we told you so. <laughs> that should be the, the theme of our show tonight. We told you so. It was a trap. It was, it was set by the media, by the establishment. They wanted to frame the right as the troublemakers. This happened. People have gotten into physical altercations. People have gotten arrested. We predicted all of this. People like Mark Collett have predicted this. Every sensible figure I know, Morgoth and Woes and all of the guys on this panel predicted this. We were all proved right. And that should count for something. So Endeavor, what are your thoughts on this? Then we'll move on to Pox. Well, uh, I don't know as much about the history of Tommy Robinson and his movement as Horace did, but I do. I, I did watch a, a few of the great videos that Horace made a couple years back on uh, Tommy Robinson, Jewish influence, the Zionist movement, and and it's uh, and how it's so, so intertwined with the Islamization of Britain. Um, but what what struck me the most is just how um, well, well, two things really. Uh, just how despicable the likes of Tommy Robinson or, and Douglas Murray. I think we also need to. I think we also need to get our punches in on him in this stream as well. Uh, well, just how despicable this kind of uh, 
the, the Zionist controlled opposition Sivnat right really is. But then secondly, it's how Machiavellian and cunning the British establishment really is, because there was no way that uh, they were going to walk away from everything happening today, uh, the losers. So let's say, for example, now, I don't know if the British government was involved in organizing Tommy Robinson's demonstration. I don't know whether that was uh, people like Ezra Levant or various Zionists or whether the government was involved. But either way, the result was that let's say that uh, this march just didn't happen at all. Well, then it would have been uh, the pro-Palestine march, which, you know, I, I'm certainly no fan of Israel, but uh, these marches are basically just a bunch of Muslims and commies, and, uh, and they're, they're basically just as anti-white as any Zionist. So uh, it would the optics of the day would have been, if anything had happened, it would have been, well, here are a bunch of Muslims, commies, and uh, stuff on the street of London causing problems on... Uh, on uh, on Armistice Day, we call it sorry, we call it Remembrance Day in Canada. Uh, so it's slightly different, but it's the same. It's the same day. We also have a very similar uh, memorial on this day. Um, the the narrative, the, if there was any story to come at all, it would have just been, well, look at, at you know these uh, random uh, you know brown people, Muslims, commies, leftists in, in London causing problems. Now I know that the Zionists would have eaten that up too, but. What what's happened instead is that they've got their images. Oh, it's the far right who's uh, ca who's causing hell in London, and uh, you know certainly the uh, British establishment, uh, the Tory party, uh, is Zionist through and through. They're they're no they're, they're no fans of the pro Palestine movement, but at the same time they're also uh, viciously anti white as well, and they don't want the optics of a bunch of Muslims in the in the streets of London causing problems on Armistice Day. So instead they got their optics of a bunch of right-wing patriotic uh white british guys causing problems on the streets of london so i guess the best thing that can be said about today is that it wasn't as bad of a disaster as it could have been this was no charlottesville uh i i don't think it's going to be international news it's not going to be uh around the clock coverage for the next week but you know it is an own goal and nothing good came of it very well pox what are your thoughts well, look, uh, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Um, I, I'm not in London. I'm not a Londoner. Um, my mother's side is Irish and Welsh, and one of my Irish ancestors married an English woman. Um, so I, I do care about what happens in Britain, but I wouldn't call myself British, and I wouldn't presume to tell British people what to do. But that said, um, there's a reason why we all predicted that this would go poorly. And that's because all of us who are involved in the uh, struggle for white well-being, uh, nationalism, etc. Well, we've, we've, we are also um, watching what happens in each other's countries. And we know what happened at Charlottesville. We know what happened on January 6th. In those two instances in the United States. Um, hell, we, we know what happened during the COVID protests uh, throughout Europe um, and how often the police were heavy handed with them. Uh, also, we could add Australia to that. There were instances of uh, the Australian authorities being very heavy handed with um, the people who were protesting anti COVID, uh, or the, sorry, the COVID measures during that time. Hell, we can even add Brazil uh, and the mammoth protests in the wake of the 
uh, you know, sort of dubious election results um, uh, about a year ago with uh, Bolsonaro. Um, protests don't usually accomplish much. They don't. And lately, the paradigm has shifted to that anytime pretty much anyone to the right of Gramsci protests, well, the authorities are going to crack down on them very hard. And there's a million ways that they can get you. And so having all those uh, experiences and all those examples to look upon, it didn't take much to predict that this would go badly. And then adding to that, who are the people whipping up this protest? And for, for what reason exactly? Because it turns out the pro-Palestine uh, march wasn't going anywhere near the center town. Now, should that march have been allowed to go on? There's a, there's a discussion that should have been had. It wasn't. And the, the uh, Metropolitan Police, the British government, uh, Rishi Sunak himself, the prime minister, they could have taken all sorts of measures to um, either cancel this Palestinian march or uh, ensure that it went nowhere near the center of that make it obviously 100% clear that it's not going anywhere near uh, Britain's sacred war memorials. None of that was done. And so then we have Tommy Robinson and Douglas Murray and, and some other uh, figures in, in the, the Spitfire, you know, bulldog nationalist British uh, scene, uh, whipping up this, this desire to defend, you know, the Cenotaph and uh, also defend Israel. <laughs> because, I mean, let's look at and see what Tommy uh, did, how he started his, his day. Um, before everything kicked off, he is photographed in a pub with a British flag cut in half, and the other half, the missing half, is now uh, stitched on an Israeli flag. Um, so that's the kind of person we're dealing with, and that's the kind of allegiance that he has. Um, his timely reinstatement, his, un his very strange uh, timely reinstatement on Twitter. He's on Twitter, and the first thing he does is tell people, yeah, hey, bro, we're going down to the Cenotaph on Saturday. Be there. Uh, then the next day, he's grifting for donations. He's talking, he's, he's lamenting his legal fees from you know, years ago and how he's still fighting all the legal battles. So please donate. Here's the link. Um, it's just unbelievable. And we know who he is. We know what he's like. So you add all this together, and it was just obvious that this was going to be uh, an own goal. And I think it's true that it, it's not a disaster. I, I, I didn't predict it would be a disaster. I didn't think it would, it would be January 6th level. But you never know. I mean, it could have, it could have uh, reached that level. But um, I just think that these are errors. These are mistakes. And we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty of, you know, well, what should you do then? Should we just do nothing? Um, but I think what Endeavor said was, was worth saying. What would have happened had Tommy Robinson never showed up, had these uh, so-called football hooligans never showed up? What would have happened? 
It would have been a story about an anti-white protest, a vast anti-white protest surging through London. And if any trouble was caused by that protest, it would be on them. And that's good optics for us. So yeah, if he had stayed out of this, the other side would have looked threatening, numerous, powerful, and it would be the great replacement at work brought to your TV. And that would have been a good thing for people to see. We want people to see more of that. And Tommy Robinson basically photobombed that very positive and useful demonstration. It's a demonstration of how powerful the anti-white forces are in the capital of a white nation. That's a useful thing to demonstrate. That would be a good thing. He photobombed that, and now it's a story about these yobs and soccer hooligans and people like that getting in fights. These horrible white people getting in fights with diverse crowds who are just out to exercise their rights as Englishmen. That's, that's not a good takeaway. Their rights as Englishmen, they have English passports, British passports, surely. So let's talk about his Twitter reinstatement. When that happened, I rolled my eyes and I thought, the schizos are going to just have a field day with this. It really did seem, as people like to say, very convenient timing. Very convenient timing. Time to release the glowies. Time to get these people back on Twitter. It happened with Katie Hopkins and it happened with Tommy Robinson at the very same time. Interestingly enough, as a recent piece at Countercurrents, as we published it yesterday by Travel Blanc pointed out, Katie Hopkins hasn't jumped on this thing. She wasn't obviously going out and grifting on this and, and trying to encourage people to get involved in the, in the um, protests. That's interesting. But it sure was convenient for the British establishment. And we have to wonder if it was just a coincidence or not. The fact that Katie Hopkins didn't do anything doesn't mean that Tommy Robinson wasn't released for this particular purpose from Twitter jail. And if that's true, that raises all kinds of uncomfortable questions about who's making deals at Twitter. Was it Elon Musk? Did Elon Musk get a call from the British Home Office or something? We'll, we'll probably never know. I'd love to see those Twitter files released someday. This is, this is the bit that really fascinates me. Like, who is responsible for that decision to reinstate them? It, it, it seems like it must be to cause what happened today. Like, I can't, how else, like, what, that'd be too big a coincidence for Tommy and Katie Hopkins to be giving their accounts back just a week ago. That, that does not happen by coincidence, right? So somebody at Twitter wanted this outcome. So it's, uh, I'd love to know. I guess we're never going to know, right? But it, <laughs> that is that is a crucial thing because if it's Musk, I mean, uh, presumably it's not, right? Presumably this is too low level for Musk, I assume, because uh, he doesn't seem to know a lot of the time what's going on. Uh, yeah. He's running for, he runs four companies and stuff, doesn't he? But, right, um, right. <laughs> so I assume it's not at his level, but it might be. I mean, I just very frequently, not frequently, but like sort of, you know, every every week or two, I'll reply to an Elon Musk tweet that's vaguely relevant saying, why are these accounts still banned? And I'll tag in Mark Collett, Laura Taylor, Patriot Alternative, and, and other people like that. I mean, is Kevin McDonald got chucked off after Musk took over? There's I got Taylor. chucked off after Musk took over. Yeah, what is that? And yeah. Jared, Jared Taylor's still not back. And there's loads of others. Um, 
And, you know, we, we have no idea whether, I mean, Mark, Laura and PA were, they got back on Twitter in about February this year. They had a few weeks of massive engagement. It was beautiful to watch these mm-hmm. protests at um, migrant hotels and stuff. It was brilliant. Like people were loving it. PA was just, you know, was suddenly a household name for five minutes and then they got rid of them again all at once. And it was all in response to politicians calling for them to be chucked off in parliament. So it was as though politicians just contacted someone at Twitter and Twitter just said, yeah. And I reckon that's, I don't know if there's a UK office of Twitter or what, but I reckon that's what happens there. They're just compliant, you know, they're just, they just side with the government. Or it could be that that, there used to be that woman, Ella Irwin working at Twitter. I don't think she's there anymore, but it could be that she told Musk, yeah, we have to ban these. Like it's illegal for us to let these people have an account. And he just believed her. It could be something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I don't know whether, you know, Mark and or even Tommy goes up to Musk's level. It's, it's not clear, but it's so annoying that Musk is this unknown quantity. You know, like he, he says he likes free speech, but, you know, it's not really bad. You lost your account after he come on, after he took over the thing. So. I lost it because of a small video clip that somebody made of me speaking about Kanye West. And why it takes somebody slightly crazy. It would take, you'd have to be crazy if you were an establishment figure to talk about what they all know, which is Jewish power. And then I, and, and then I said, enter Kanye West. It was like 30 or 40 seconds. And I got booted off Twitter for that, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, so you you can't it, the the line there is is the JQ. There's no question that that's still a line there. I think there are people there who might be on board with free speech uh, because they are center right types and somewhat libertarian, small L uh, like Elon. Uh, but these people have no trouble doing favors for the Jewish right. And, and that's how it works, right? Uh, left-wing Jews influence left-wing corporate giants, you know, Twitter under Jack Dorsey, to do their censorship. And right-wing Jews get right-wing sympathizers in corporations to do their censorship. And that's one of the things that's most astonishing about what's happened in the United States since the, the Gaza rebellion. Suddenly, the... American right, which has been going on whining about cancel culture because that's a good issue against the left. Suddenly the American right are talking about canceling people, stopping people from speaking about Palestine, passing laws about this. So suddenly the First Amendment is being attacked from the right by the right because right-wing Jews own the American right, unfortunately. And so once again, we see that there's a strange incompatibility, this strange hostility of Jews uh, towards free speech. And sometimes they work from the right and sometimes they work from the left, but the pinchers are still concentrated on grabbing and crushing into dust the, the First Amendment in America, which is what keeps us uh, freer than a lot of places in the world to speak our minds. So it, it's very interesting how the mask is off. Jewish power is obviously 
dominant with the right in America. The Republican debates are just ludicrous. They're just falling all over themselves to talk about how sacrosanct Israel is. And of course, in Europe, in the UK, in France, in Germany, there's all this talk about deportation and putting laws on the books, laws against criticizing not the British in Britain or the French in France or the Germans in Germany. Uh, God forbid that any European people should be sacrosanct and above criticism in its own homeland. No, there are these laws being proposed to make, uh, make it impossible to criticize Jews and Zionism. And that really shows you who rules and who these systems are ruling for. That, we see the sovereign, the real sovereign. Uh, you know, they're, they're, their nose is extending far beyond the curtain now because they're, uh, they're exposing themselves because they're quite hysterical about recent events. I think it's a huge opportunity for us too. What I find like kind of depressing and, but also baffling about the whole situation of what went on in England today. And then the broader situation too, is just how many layers of deception there are, how many, uh, facades are being set up everywhere to get the public to, uh, you know, um, perceive something this way and another portion to perceive it that way. Like we can, we can look at, so someone like Tommy Robinson, he's being set up as, uh, by the establishment as this, uh, evil right-wing boogeyman, but even though his loyalties are actually to the Zionist lobby. So he's not, he's not even, he, he's being set up as the boogeyman, but his, his, He's not even an actual opposition member. He's controlled opposition. And then for uh, you know normal patriotic uh, British people, he's being set up as this as the an icon, as a hero, as this working class guy who's uh, gonna uh, who's getting down and dirty and fighting with the the Muslims and uh, standing up for the working class and patriotism. He isn't that either, but he's being set up like that. Then you have the governments uh, who are going to be using this. Uh, they're going to be like faking outrage over this rally, saying like, oh, well, how disrespectful the far right is on Armistice Day, you know, as if as if uh, they actually care about the legacy of the war dead in the country. You know, that they're obviously destroying the country that any uh, that any soldier in any of these wars that Armistice Day commemorates was actually fighting to protect. And then you have the uh, the then you have the pa the pro Palestine demonstration and the whole thing, which I don't know. It, it's kind of like a pet of the establishment that's kind of going a bit wild right now. You know, they they don't really like them touching the Zionism issue, but at the same time, they're they're clients of power, so they'll uh, you know they'll they'll try to they, they'll they'll try to uh, like tamp down on the anti Israel stuff, but you know at the same time, they still want their to protect their. Uh, they're the clients of power, the Muslims and the the, the non-whites and the, le the uh, leftists. And it, it's just deception up and down. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm just sometimes baffled by, at, at how fake the world we're living in is today. Because every single thing going on uh, in London today is totally fake. The fake outrage of the far right, the fake patriotism of someone like Tommy Robinson, uh, the, the, the Palestine thing, which should have nothing to do with Britain whatsoever. It's, it's really just baffling. The apologetics that I'm hearing for Palestinian types from uncomfortable liberals 
are starting to sound uncomfortably like pit bull apologetics, which has absolutely cracked me up. But yeah, they are clients of power. They're a little off the chain now. People are uncomfortable about it. Most sort of normie center left people can't really say what's going on because, of course, that would be too honest for them. It is quite comical. But yeah, every, but, but look, this is the way the system works. There are all these constituencies. We have pl political pluralism, we have a political spectrum. There are all these different constituencies with slightly different uh, identities and therefore slightly different interests and agendas. And this tiny establishment wants to rule them all. And how does it rule them all? Well, it lies to all of them. It deceives all of them. It And it deceives all of them with contradictory stories all at once. <laughs> and, you know, it's turned up to 11 right now because the regime's in a crisis. And the reason the regime is in a crisis is because the hand up the, the butt of all these puppets is the Jewish hand. And they're having a crisis. And so, you know, there, there's this joke, you know, uh, Germany sneezes and the rest of Europe catches a cold. Well, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is that if Israel sneezes or if Israel has a, has a nervous breakdown, the rest of the world has a nervous breakdown. Certainly all the, all the white countries of the world, they're just jerked around. Because we are in the backseat of the Jewish emotional roller coaster, sadly. I think we, we must be living in one of the most bizarre times in history. Because <laughs> like, the, the effect of Jewish control over our countries is to make things mad, is to make things not make sense, right? Right. I mean... <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're kind of neurotic, to, to put it yeah. mildly. You know, they're highly neurotic people. And they, they have an emotional roller coaster existence that's always up and down. And we're in the backseat. Uh, we've had our societies hijacked by these neurotics who are taking us for a joyride. And yeah, it's interesting, though, because the, the truth of the situation is now clearer to more people than ever before. So I just think this is a wonderful opportunity, honestly. But it's still utterly bizarre. And it still surprises me. And I shouldn't be surprised by anything anymore, but I wake up in the morning and I look in my Twitter feed or I look on Telegram and I'm aghast. I'm still surprised by how crazy this is I mean, getting. What one major difference between Europeans and, and Jews is that when you look at uh, us historically, when Europeans have been in, in charge, we've made it damn clear that we're the ones in charge. When the Romans uh, ruled Europe and North Africa, they made it clear that Rome is your ruler. Uh, when the British Empire was uh, the most powerful empire in the world, they made it pretty clear that you're ruled by the British. Uh, but with with the Jews, they, they they have this paranoia of people knowing about their the level the degree of power that they have. So they always engage in these kind of frame games. And uh, yeah, Kevin McDonald has even written about this dating back to the 19th century that you'd get one of these. Uh, you get one of these leftist movements in America and they'd the, the, the to, to quote Andrew Joyce, if you looked at the, the, uh, the, the list of people who are involved in this, it would look like a guest list at a bar mitzvah. But then they'd get the white Anglo-Saxon uh, uh, Protestant guy to be the head of the organization uh, because they, they didn't want the, their uh, movement to be associated with Judaism. That was, was the case with uh, psychoanalysis. 
it was like that with communism. Uh, you know, they would, even though Lenin was partly Jewish, they would put him in the front of the party and later Stalin. Uh, and, th and then, you know, th there's never been a Jewish president of the United States, but they've been the, by, by far the most powerful group in the United States over the past 50 years. And, and it's just really feminine. Like the, it, it's just like, instead of actually owning being the ruler, instead of actually going out there and ruling like a European king would in centuries past, they have to rely on deception and, uh, and they have to manage everybody's perception. And that's why you get the things that I mentioned, like there's all these different, uh, uh, all these different frames everywhere as, Oh, Tommy Robinson, the far right fascist. Oh, Tommy Robinson, the patriotic working class hero. And, uh, and Doug, this is Douglas, the way Douglas Murray's far right apparently as well. And, and Jordan oh, Peterson God. as well. Cause Jordan, yeah, Jordan right. Peterson was fed to us as the furthest right. You're allowed to go, you know, on, on YouTube <laughs> for years, right. It's not really working anymore, but his tweet the other week about Jude and Peter Stein was one of the funniest things I've ever seen on Twitter. It was so funny. <laughs> they're, they're calling me Jude and Peter. I can't do his voice, but <laughs> he had his so I didn't get to see that. What did he say? What did he say? <laughs> what did he say? What did he say? Like people have been putting that in his replies for years, obviously. And just the other week, he just he goes, "Now these these little anonymous demons are calling the demons." Yes, he's still doing Jude that whole routine about calling everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're calling me Juden Peterstein. It's oh my god, what a gift! What a, for what a gift! Troll. Right, yeah, right for before troll, he blocked me, he was starting to, to abandon the whole like um, haiku posting and and the, the troll demon and everything. He'd gone back to like giving young men dating advice uh, tweets. So uh, I just think it's so funny that he's still doing that. Oh man! The thing about Jewish power is that. It's power without responsibility and without accountability. Uh, and that is that is deeply feminine when you think about it. Uh, and I was, I was contemplating this. Uh, I just thought, why? <laughs> they create their ethnostate and they, they don't make it homogeneous. <laughs> they have these Arabs around and now they have all these guest workers uh, around. And then it hit me, well, if it was entirely Jewish, there'd be nobody to blame for their problems. They, they, they actually thrive in a, an environment where the buck doesn't stop them. They thrive in an environment where they love the bucks. They, they love the shekels coming towards them, but they don't want that buck, that figurative buck of responsibility coming to them. They want somebody else around to take the blame for that. They want scapegoats around. And so wherever they set up shop, even if they could have 100% control, they don't want to do that. They need somebody around as a fall guy to take the blame for their failures. And it's part of their psychology because as we know, they've never done anything wrong in 3000 years of their history. And people hate them for absolutely no reason whatsoever. It's just a virus. It's just a yeah. inexplicable virus. It's, it's an us problem, not a them problem, right? And that refusal to take responsibility is also in a way of refusal to be sovereign, even in their own nations, much less the nations that they've, they've busted out and, and taken over. They, they want to have sovereign power, except when that entails going down with the ship right? Then they don't want anything to do with that. 
they're they're in hoop skirts trying to get into lifeboats uh, at that point. I think it's interesting that you and Endeavor kind of took the words out of my mouth, mentioning feminine power. Um, I've described the relationship between Jews and Europeans on several occasions as a dysfunctional marriage. And the Jews are the wife and Europeans are the man, the husband. And um, what happens is in this dysfunctional marriage, the wife nags and slaps and pushes and twists the knife and pushes all the buttons. And there's a lot of uh, psychological abuse and emotional manipulation. And then one day the husband can't take it anymore. And his wife pushes him, slaps him across the face, scratches his eyes. And so he punches her back. Now, the problem is his right hook leaves a hell of a mark. And so down goes the wife, and she's got a big black eye. And now it's clear for all of the neighborhood, all of the their friends, all the people at church um, to see the, the violence of the man. And he looks like a horrible person. He looks like just, you know, he's literally a wife beater. He's a and brute. He's a brute, exactly. And then the police will come and, and, and take him and cuff him. Uh, even if he was uh, just acting in self-defense, it doesn't matter. Anytime there's a physical altercation, um, the man could be simply putting his hands up to defend himself, but it will still be the man who ends up going to jail that night. And going back to the Tommy Robinson thing, I actually think that on these occasions and, and, and on this particular occasion, Sometimes we just need to understand that there is a, a, a feminine angle, right? I suppose you could even use the word Machiavellian if you wanted to. But what we see with the Tommy Robinson type, the role that he is cast to play, what we were asking earlier, why was he let back on Twitter? What is the role that he plays and for whom does he play it? Well, basically, what he and, and his merry men do is they play the role of the brutish husband. And we're going to take to the streets. Uh, we're going to... There's, there's already been so many... Um, I, I saw at least three different uh, uh, reports on Twitter. Uh, one person saying he overheard them saying, let's go get drugs. There's Then there's a picture of uh, one of the Tommy Tards being arrested while the police hold up a little black baggie of drugs in front of him, asking him, you know, what is this? Um, so there are shady characters. Some of them might, many of them, most of them probably have their heart in the right place. And so they want to express this masculine warrior uh, energy, and they want to defend their territory. They want to defend what's theirs. They want to defend what's important to them. But the wiser thing to do in this situation would actually have been to play the feminine angle and say, look, actually, both of our enemies are at each other's throats. Um, 
up until today, what had been the main talking point coming from center right and and uh, you know establishment media right wing figures like Douglas Murray, uh, so called right wing, I suppose you could say. Well, the whole talking point had been we need to deport these people, and we'd seen images of these pro-Palestinian uh, marchers lighting fireworks, launching fireworks in the direction of police and uh, taking down flags and putting up Palestinian flags and all sorts of things. Let that continue. But the role that Tommy Robinson plays is to come in like a, a bull in a china shop, to come in like this brutish figure and, and punch the wife in the eye. And now everyone's talking about him and how horrible he is. And so I think that, yeah, there is, a, there is something to be said about feminine way of doing things, masculine ways of doing things, but when to apply that way of doing things so that it is the most advantageous to you. What is mm -hmm. the point of a protest? What is the point of any of this? It has to be to advance your cause. And I don't think, from my perspective, that the, that the cause of British people has been advanced today. But now here's a, the, the problem is, Tommy Robinson and his followers don't think like us. And this is going back to the role that he plays. Tommy Robinson is a civic nationalist who does not care about race, who believes that anyone can be British so long as they adopt British values. And in his mind, British values is basically uh, queuing, mm, respect the royal family, uh, respect... Uh, you know the the war narrative, the heroic uh, heroes of the of the Second World War, um, and in fact, he's not even entirely bothered with uh, about Muslims. <laughs> Again, he's back on Twitter. One of his first tweets, uh, he's back on X. So one of his first posts, sorry, uh, was to say, basically, you know, the whole. Uh, counter jihad 2016 2017 line which is uh i don't have anything against muslims individual muslims are great people i just don't like islam islam is a very bad idea it's the it, we're, 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 we're back to the battleground of ideas um and he posts a, a picture of him with uh, some muslims one of them is a muslima wearing a hijab so in his mind you know it's not it's it's fine that this woman is wearing a hijab in 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 England, it's no problem. That we, I don't mind Muslims in England. The Muslims are great people. But when it's time to use Tommy Robinson for the whole Zionist counter-jihad narrative, then he comes onto the scene and says, no, Islam is this bad idea, and the women wearing hijabs in Gaza are being oppressed, and Israel is the only functioning democracy, and we've got to stand up for Israel and stitch an Israeli flag on the Union Jack and all that sort of thing. Um, it's just, it, yeah, it is very bizarre and it's very dizzying, the, 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 the layers of, of uh, lies to, to all of this and, and performative lies. Somebody needs to do a how it started, where it's going meme with first it's Tommy and the flag that's divided in two. And then next is Tommy showing his Mossad t-shirt off or something like that, or just waving an Israeli flag because that's how it starts and how it goes. You think, okay, we're gonna be patriotic British 
but we were going to show that we're good people. So we'll get a black guy to show that we're anti-racist and we'll find a Jew who will bless us. And then you discover, well, okay, you're off to a good start. You're being good little conservatives. You're coloring within the PC identity politics lines. You're, you're, you've got your bona fides intact. So, you know, it, it starts with a little Israeli flag pin, you know, and then it gets to half Union Jack, half Israeli flag. And finally, it's Tommy in his Mossad T-shirt. Because the thing is, is that once you let these people in, they only really care about Jewish issues anyway. And they never rest. They never stop. And eventually, it's just all Jews all the time. And this is what happened with the Republican Party in America. You can't look at a Republican Party debate, a presidential debate now, and hear anything about the United States. The last debate was basically just Israel, all Israel all the time. Uh, that's how it happens. I, they, it starts with the lapel pin and being politically correct. And by the time it's over, they're just falling all over one another to prove how subservient they are to another country's interests. Joel Davis did a, an interview with um, Joe Marsh recently, uh, and I interviewed Joe uh, 2021. Um, and we went over, right, so Joe Marsh was was one of the early founders of the what became the English Defence League. I think when he founded something called the Welsh Defence League, and there were other guys of very similar mind. A lot of them are like football casuals, which is a word for basically sort of hooligans. Um, a lot of similar people at the same time. This is around 2009, 2010, I believe. They, all, uh, they formed similar things that there was the Welsh Defence League, I think there was probably the English Defence League and, and some other things. They came together, they started having these demonstrations, again, mostly football lads, football fans, who were quite a you know, masculine presence uh, and obviously quite large numbers of them. Joe says they started putting together demonstrations of sometimes 10, maybe even in one case, I think 15,000 people. But these, Joe emphasised, was like guys who are not afraid of the police, right? So it's quite a like a forceful demonstration you know it's quite impressive makes it makes a difference and they were doing these things spontaneously i think without permission or anything they were just turning up in towns very short notice and for the police to stop the march was almost impossible uh so the police were actually generally very polite to them and just cooperative and like let's get this done and then yeah you can go home and you know you've had your say sort of thing and it was kind of working this was a, a growing movement it wasn't that vast numbers of people but it was effective and Joe says, then this guy, Tommy Robinson, started appearing. And within a couple of years, he'd not only become the leader, he'd also invited Joe and the other leading figures to go over to America with him. Joe didn't go. But uh, when Tommy came back, he had all these new plans, right? And, and seemingly a bit of money as well. And within, yeah, within a couple of years of him getting involved, he had turned the whole thing into a kind of, well, yeah, a Zionist gay movement, like rainbow flags and events with like trannies, and uh, people just talking about, you know, like the gay rights that Islam threatens. And basically, it turned into like a leftist movement, really. I mean, Anne-Marie Waters is another figure in this counter-jihad scene, much less famous, but she's simply a left-wing socialist, right, who just, she became anti-Islamic because Islam is bad for gays and women. Um, that is a left-wing perspective. And, um, yeah, counter-jihad is, the whole thing is like, a, is a gay op against nationalism likewise obviously the ideology of civic nationalism as as pox mentioned um like that is what tommy represents he, he represents the spear tip of sticking civic nationalism back into what would otherwise obviously be a proper nationalist movement 
um, I mentioned Joe Marsh. I mean, he's he's with PA. He's an ethno-nationalist. He knows what's going on. He's a smart guy. Um, Tommy side of things is more for people who are uninformed, don't really, you know, they don't know much about the Second World War. They don't know much about Israel. They don't know about what Israel did in the first place to found itself and so on and so on. And obviously they don't, they don't see the problem with Israel having such enormous control over Britain, America, France and so on, right? Um, so from that perspective and for many other reasons, Tommy does seem to be some sort of state-managed thing i mean he already was a football fan you know a football lad sort of thing before that that's not fake but and and i think his i think tommy robinson really does believe in the multiracial thing as well i think he really as he says he did grow up in a gang with caribbean guys maybe some couple of muslim guys maybe some indian guys whatever he has actually grown up with a lot of multiracial friends and so on and i think he is somewhat sincere about that 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 he doesn't want britain to be defined ethnically uh, but he's also a useful <laughs> way of transmitting civic nationalism into all these other people who would otherwise be real nationalists. And I would, I would, I would also mention that uh, a year or two ago, Keith Woods did some good exposés of uh, where civic nationalism first came from. And I think the first philosopher that came up with it was Hans Kohn, who I've not heard of. But um, yeah, it's 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 a Jewish idea, as we would expect, right? And civic nationalism, as I as I've seen, like from all my learnings about British politics is that it's, it, I mean, it was, I've seen it promoted by people like Roy Jenkins, who was like an arch traitor, uh, used to be Home Secretary. Uh, Michael Heseltine, again, an arch traitor. He's, he's for immigration, he's for the EU, he's for everything that just dissolves our country. He was saying civic nationalist stuff in the early 80s. And when uh, it was implicit, I think, you know, Tory governments believe in it as well, but when Blair's government came to power and Brown's shorter government, um, you know, a bit later, they really made it the official, well, not literally official, but effectively official state ideology or the ruling class ideology. And they were arguing for it explicitly. They were saying, we want a civic nationalist concept of Britishness. That's Gordon Brown's own words, pretty much. And um, I saw this being seeded. And I would note that Around the time the EDL started getting big and Tommy Robinson started appearing, so I think Tommy Robinson sort of started taking over that in about 2010 or 2011. It had been going for a year or two before that. Um, that's also around the time that the Brown government came to an end and they handed over to David Cameron. David Cameron is, in his own words, an anti-fascist, supported uh, Unite Against Fascism, which is an extreme left group. Um, but also it's the time when the BNP was being destroyed, which really really seem to be a state operation as well i mean the equality and human rights commission which is a body that shouldn't exist they went after them the infiltrators went after them people exposed their membership list that was also posted on wikileaks by julian assange uh, to dox thousands of people um and various other things and the bnp was torn apart i mean there would have been infiltrators causing trouble within it and stuff all these things happened at the same time. It seems like a determined state, and I would say state rather than government, a state promotion of civic nationalism that is still obviously bearing fruit for them now. Um, and I'll just finish this with, like, I first started um, taking a stand on this. I didn't really understand before. I always thought that the, the Tommy movement was basically good people, not as hardcore as I would like, but, you know, sort of good people. 2019, there was this eruption of awareness that they're not. 
I was one of the people who really began to get it. I'd always heard this term controlled opposition, and I'd always thought that what are you saying? That's that's a weak, that's a weak criticism. No, it's everything. Controlled opposition is a really profound concept to understand. It's it's our politics. <laughs> it's what politics is in the West under Jewish control. And it's not just what politics is, it's also what sort of opinion makers like, yeah, Tommy Robinson, Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray, uh, that's what they are. They're controlled opposition, right? They, they, they're feigned opposition. Douglas Murray, I'll just finish. Douglas Murray is the, one of the most accursed people. He called for people to go and stand and defend the monuments last weekend. And where is he now? He's in Israel, reporting on Gaza's crimes against Israel, <laughs> as though history started on October the 7th. So he's a, he's a traitor. He's a fake and a phony and a traitor. And uh, I just, just really detest Douglas Murray above all. What Greg was mentioning earlier about, um, uh, like, w- once you let them in, then everything becomes about them. I have this hilarious story from uh, this past Christmas last year. Uh, first time visiting uh, Canada in a couple of years due to, you know, due to all the... <laughs> but anyway, uh, so my cousins, my cousin and his wife, uh, they were big into the Conservative Party of Canada for several years. And his his wife was like, I think she was a staffer for some uh, MP or something like that. And, you know, I had to bite my tongue something fierce at, at this Christmas dinner because she was going on and on about Israel. Like, she, I, I think we were talking about something like about the military. And then she just says, oh, do you know that Israel has conscription? Do you know that Israel and uh, both men and women have to serve in the army for one or two years or whatever it is? And then later she's talking about her, um, her multi-faith never again trip to Poland where they went to visit Auschwitz, uh, which was paid for her by her political party. And then her political party sending her to Israel and you know, I, I had to bite my tongue not to say, well, gee, uh, they seem to really have a big, uh, they seem to have a lot of influence over our politics. Why is this one little country in the Middle East so important to the Conservative Party of Canada? I know Canada doesn't get as, um, as the, you know, we don't hear as much about it as you would the, the United States or Britain. But uh, the Conservative Party of Canada, the Liberal Party to an, to a, to an extent as well. But they're also just Zionists through and through. Our former prime minister, Stephen Harper, has advocated going to war with Iran on the basis that Iran is an anti-Semitic state. So, I mean, just when you, when you think about how disastrous a war with Iran would be, according to Stephen Harper, uh, it's worth it because they're because the Iranians don't like Jews. Um, one thing that uh, another thing I wanted to say, though, was um, I, I felt this with everything that was going on today. It did feel kind of like this uh almost like you had been teleported back to 2017 2018 because the name tommy robinson i I haven't heard anything about him for the last four years or so i remember 2017 2018 he was all over the place there were these demonstrations uh you know he had these events and uh he was getting arrested and now you know Last couple of years, I've become a lot more red pilled, and now I see, you know, the hand that Ezra Levant was playing in that. You know, who Ezra Levant really is. I can now see that it was kind of a show being put on, just like what's being put on today. Um, but I, the last I remember hearing of Tommy Robinson was uh, in, around 2019, and uh, I remember some of the videos that Horace made about it. I think uh, Mark Collette did some streams about Tommy Robinson. I, I wasn't following it too closely. I'm not. I'm not British myself, so. It wasn't the uh, 
it, it wasn't the it wasn't something that's been on my mind uh, ever since then. But it feels like uh, he's a guy that kind of just disappeared for four years, and now all of a sudden he's back, and it's like all he's back with all the same talking points with about oh, Islamization and Israel, and uh, well, you know, we British values and how. Britain is about being nice to homosexuals and it's about uh, tolerance and Islam's bad because they're not tolerant. And it just feels like all of this is just coming back. I, I, one thing I do wonder though, is this the same crowd, the same kind of people who um, were following him back then? Because there were some huge scandals with him. If I remember correctly, again, I didn't follow these things as closely as some others, but uh, I mean, he had been in the scandal for laundering millions of dollars that he take all this, he took all these donations and then ended up like promising these documentaries, which he never ended up making. I guess it's a question I'll pass on to Horace. Are, are these the same? Are, does he have the same followers or are these just a, a new crowd and, the, you know, he's just recruited a bunch of new ones? It's hard to tell how many new people are coming in. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who have just been loyal to him over the last decade and just follow him anywhere. How could he be attracting new people? It seems like such a passe thing now, right? It seems like yeah. something to just keep rinsing money out of the same people. That's my impression. Um, but that, that rape of Britain, I mean, the, 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 the big the big anti-Tommy sort of backlash in 2019 was partly triggered by the fact that he promised this film, The Rape of Britain, about obviously the Muslim rape gangs. And um, the next, he just sort of stopped mentioning it. And the next thing he did mention was, oh, Shalom. The uh, documentary Shalom is coming out soon. Just about mm -hmm. some Jewish guy who lived in London and felt like he couldn't live there anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how it started, how it's going, right? Uh, were Amazing. either of those ever released? I think I'm not sure. I don't think it was released. Again, it was. We just don't even of, know. He just like, siphons he, money. He promised to make a documentary about the rape of British girls, and ended up being turned into a documentary about a Jew, and then <laughs> neither documentary actually ended up being made at all. Well, but the money, donated, the money just, was given just, to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And with and with his bus as well, right? So but the Rape of Britain, there have been, I think, two parts of it. And I think he's I think I saw him tweeting the other day that part three is out soon. So four years later, he's he's prepared to release like the next bit of it. It's like Anita Sarkeesian, if anyone remembers 2014. Let's <laughs> 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 go back a bit. <laughs> well, I, I just think he was on ice in some government facility until they needed to thaw him out and, and release well, can, can release I... him. Can I Go jump ahead. in actually about this? Unless I mean we're at the hour point, so I don't know if you want to take questions. But there, Tommy Robinson was actually alive and kicking just twelve months ago, and if, and if we're going to talk about our favorite uh, Tommy uh, Tommy tantrums or Tommy subversions, uh, this would be my story. So I don't know, Greg, if you want to take questions, and then I'll yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, well, actually, exactly twelve months ago. Let's all cast our minds back to what was happening in Ireland. And again, this is, thought, this is about, you know, what are effective uh, street um, marches, activism in the real world, um, protests, things like that? How can those actually be effective? Normally, I don't think they are. But if we remember what happened over the last 12 months in Ireland, um, there were some examples of positive, effective, grassroots um, protest action. And just a little refresher, what happened was that Irish people, starting off in uh, Eastwall in Dublin, 
Well, they were basically uh, physically blockading an office building that was going to be uh, repurposed into a so-called asylum center for suspicious foreign men. And the Irish people in that area were fed up with their communities becoming uh, dumping grounds for suspicious foreign men. And so they basically stood in front of that building uh, and, and made a big fuss about it. And that kicked off a chain reaction across the entire uh, country where as the weeks and months passed by, we saw uh, in Westmeath, there was a moment where um, some young fellas waving the tricolor stood in front of a bus full of migrant men and they refused to move. Uh, they refused to let that bus dump its human cargo in their, in their neighborhood. And the bus had to turn around and go back. Uh, whence it came, we don't know what happened to that human cargo, but it was not deposited in those people's uh, neighborhood, in their, in their community. So that was a win for them. Talking about optics, talking about winning the media war, the optics of these Irish uh, street marches and protests were phenomenal. The hashtags, make Ireland safe again, Ireland for the Irish. People were waving signs that said, uh, mass migration equals the ethnic cleansing of, Irish, uh, of the Irish. Completely 100% on point messaging. You had mothers pushing prams, uh, leading the, the marches, mothers with their prams. And so then when the uh, busybodies, the progressives labeled them far right, fascists and Nazis, it was just such a joke because the symbol, the face of these Irish protests against the plantation 2.0 of their country was a mother pushing a pram. All of that was going on. It was, and they were doing so well to keep at bay political parties, opportunists, and grifters, and bad actors. Um, everything was nonviolent. It was, it was phenomenal. It was so well done. And then Tommy Robinson comes out of nowhere and says that he's going to go to Ireland and join the protest. And everyone in Ireland and everyone that was a, a part of these um, Irish nationalist, uh, this, this burgeoning uh, nationalist movement, this burgeoning anti-plantation uh, movement, everyone said, no, Tommy, stay where you are. We don't want you here because they know what Tommy brings. He brings these hooligans. He brings this hooliganism. He brings this bull in a china shop uh, um, mentality. He brings that, that uh, wife beater husband mentality. I mean, we've just already seen in the in the hours since, um, you know, whatever fracas happened today in London, we've seen so many uh, headlines already using the word thugs to describe them, uh, violent clashes with police, the, the images are all over the place. Um, so that's what Tommy creates. That's what he brings. That's who he is. And no one in Ireland wanted that. And so they said, stay away. We're doing this ourselves and we're doing it very well. We don't need you. But Tommy refused to heed their uh, desires, their wishes, and he actually taunted them. He made posts on his Telegram channel saying, I'm coming and you can't stop me. Uh, we're heading there. And I think he's got a, uh, some sort of media organization called Scoop or something like that at the time. I think it, it was called um, Open Scoop. Yeah, and and oh yeah, that's what it is. And um, and so he said, "We're coming to Ireland, and and uh, you can't stop me." And and so he did. 
he 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 went to Ireland. The first thing he's he's barely set foot on Irish soil. He's barely stepped out of the airport. In fact, I think he might even have been still in uh, Dublin airport. The first thing he does is he, he it was I don't know if it was staged or uh, if it was uh, spontaneous, but the first thing he does is he uploads this 30 second video of him shaking hands with a brown man, a based brown man who's saying, uh, oh, I love your work, Tommy. You're a legend. Uh, really love what you do. And Tommy uploads this video with a little text saying uh, something like, uh, hey, here's a message to all you, all you leftist, uh, you know, all you leftists with your antics. Uh, we're here. We don't, you know, we don't care about uh, any race. What this is just about, you know, uh, grassroots voice of the people. So the second he arrives in, in, in Ireland, he's already promoting again, civic nationalism, uh, this, this tepid kosher conservatism, and he is polluting what had been a brilliant and, and valiant and 100% pro-Irish uh, movement that was making no bones about it, that was clear. We are Irish and we want Ireland for the Irish and it to be safe for the Irish. And the mass migration of our country is an ethnic cleansing of the Irish. But here comes Tommy Robinson to say, no, no, we don't, we don't hate people of any color or any race or any religion. It's just, it's, it's just the voice of the people. And here I am shaking hands with based brown guy who loves my work. See, I'm not racist. And Ireland's not racist either. That's what he does. And he was doing that just 12 months ago. Yeah, that's interesting. I lost track of him in 2019, I think. 2018 was when I and one of my writers, Huntley Haverstock, really lit into Tommy Robinson. And that was in May of 2018 when he's arrested for live streaming outside a hearing connected with Muslim grooming gang. And he was arrested and he was sentenced to 13 months in jail on contempt of court charges because he had been arrested for the same thing a few months before and given a suspended sentence on the grounds that he would not offend again. And when he offended again, the original sentence kicked in and I don't know how long he ended up in jail. But of course, there was a great deal of whining and, and screaming about Orwellianism and censorship and et cetera. And there's a great deal of grifting that went on about this. And he lied about his conditions in prison, the danger he was in, et cetera. Huntley Haverstock talks about those lies. But my basic point was, look, he knew what he was doing. The reason why he was held in contempt of court is basic due process concerns. And the fact that if these men were denied due process, that would be grounds under the British justice system for a mistrial. And some of these rapists might go unpunished. He knew that. He knew what was at stake and he didn't care because it was all about him. He, he's a reckless, stupid, egomaniacal shit. And it, it just bothered me intensely that so many people were rushing to his defense and thinking he was a victim. And my response to that was, look, I know how bad it is in the UK. I know how Orwellian it is. Save 
your concern for actual victims of the state. He's not a victim here. He actually did something wrong. And he actually made it more likely that these rape gangs would not be punished. And I thought that was criminally irresponsible and, and frankly, a bit stupid. And it was very frustrating to see people rushing to his support when they shouldn't. And, and so anyway, I, I made a brief statement about this. I was looking at it today. There were hundreds of comments offered. Only 142 got through because a lot of it was just obnoxious ranting and, and ad hominems and stuff like that. But I remember just deleting every other comment in that thread. And then there was a number of follow-up pieces by Huntley Haverstock. And by the time that was all over, it convinced me that he was a very bad guy. I mean, I thought his messaging was bad. But that's as far as I was going to go because he was sort of Britain's problem. But when you actually dug into this one incident, it just became clear that he has bad character, shockingly bad judgment. And he's incredibly dishonest about everything connected with this. And it went on for months and he grifted shamelessly for months. I don't know how long he actually did in jail. After a while, I just sort of went back to thinking, I've got the message of hanging up the phone. He's, he's a British problem. But that, that's really my red pill experience on Tommy Robinson. And there are a number of people who defended him. And the term Tommy Tards was being used a bit. And honestly, it struck me as a lot of his defenders were semi-retarded or they just didn't care. They just didn't want to hear any bad things about this guy. Or what was going on was that they had a huge reservoir of legitimate grievances, huge chips on their shoulders, legitimate chips on their shoulders. And instead of taking their anger and directing it in the right place and taking their enthusiasm maybe their unrest that could produce political change and projecting it in the right direction. It all just was directed at Tommy Robinson, which of course is a dead end. And that, that just screams charismatic, controlled opposition figure to me. Now, uh, last week we spoke about the, we spoke about Jewish power and is it perhaps on the decline? Has it peaked? Um, I do wonder, because uh, this is related. This is related to uh, the topic from last week as well. Uh, has the controlled opposition right uh, declined significantly over the last couple of years? Because the the example that you, you mentioned right now, Greg, I didn't really know the truth about this for a couple of years. So I think this was in 2018. I remember uh, back then I actually did defend Tommy Robinson, and it was because I didn't have uh, I didn't have access to this information. The only information I was getting off of this was that. The British state just arrested him for no reason and threw him in jail uh, because they wanted because they wanted him off the streets. And I, I didn't I didn't really know the full context of why he was arrested and what he was actually up to. And it's because the the, the voices I, I was listening to at the time, uh, it was a lot of people like Tommy Robinson and people who are adjacent to him. Uh, I wonder, though, has this kind of grift um, industry has it has it um, declined? Because I feel like it has. Um, today, we, we can look at what happened today and Tommy Robinson kind of being wheeled back out, out again. Uh, and it seems like it's alive and well. But if we consider uh, how what used to be called the alt-light, uh, the state of that in 2017, 2018. Absolutely. That was much, much bigger. Like, 
Um, I mean, Canada's version of Tommy Robinson with uh, Tommy Robinson with boobs, uh, Lauren Southern, uh, also made a uh, documentary um, uh, called Borderless uh, in, um, what was it, 2018, 2018, 2019? I can't remember what came out, but basically... um, you know, again, it's like it's it's pandering to the what the people who are con- concerned with um, who are concerned with uh, uh, mass immigration. But the the gist of the documentary was that open borders are bad because it's bad for brown people. It, because it's bad for Turkey and because it's mean, to, it's unfair to the Africans here, and that it's really kind of like the Douglas Murray thing. It's really mysterious, and no one really wins from it. You know, it's again controlled opposition stuff. But when you look at the long list of characters involved in all this stuff, you had Lauren Southern and those like two homosexuals who followed her around, and Tommy Robinson. You know, uh, then you had Gav, Faith Goldie, Gavin McInnes, and all of these kind of the, like the grift right. Uh, they seem to have disappeared now. I know that Tommy Robinson has been, just been wheeled back out um, to give the British uh, establishment the headline they wanted from today. But I feel that that uh, entire industry really has taken a hit. So while it can still do damage, I don't think it's as prominent as it was a couple of years ago. I would agree with that. He doesn't have the ecosystem of these, let's say, alt-like channels and platforms to second him. Lauren Southern is not the thing that she was way back when, when she could gather huge audiences by wearing something skimpy and laying on a bed and reading her DNA test results, uh, which was the only Lauren Southern video I actually walked from, watched from start to finish uh, until one of these, her documentaries came out. And I was utterly aghast <laughs> that, that, that this was a thing. This, this was a market. There was a market for this. But anyway, uh, that alt-right ecosystem has largely, alt-light ecosystem has largely crashed and burned. Milo Yiannopoulos is gone. Oh, God. (laughs) How did I forget about, I'm glad I forgot about that name. Yeah, yeah. Gavin McGinnis has really declined in relevance and audience. So yeah, a lot of those people have left. What took them out? Well, I'm not sure. Sheer lack of quality. (laughs) Sheer lack of quality. Also, um, God, they had a huge amount of money thrown at them, which they burned up at ridiculous rates. And, and, and they, they don't have anything to show for it either, which, which is sort of suspicious, just sort of bad character uh, at the very least. But yeah, it, it, it is interesting that network has crashed and burned. A lot of the alt-right is gone too, by the same token. But I just don't think they have the power anymore. And it'd be very interesting to see if a concerted effort is underway to resuscitate some of these careers all of a sudden. Then the coincidences would be just overwhelming. And I would think, yeah, the people that I was dismissing as being ungenerous about these people, they're not controlled opposition. They just disagree with you. They might have honest disagreements. That was me in 2017 talking about people like Milo. If these people start coming back, if they start finding major donors who are patronizing them again, yeah, that makes me would make me very, very suspicious that something is up because the real right has been growing. Now, a lot of people think that it's been shrinking because there are certain figures on stage that are gone, but 
there are fewer figures on stage, but there are more people in the audience. And I've been seeing steady, steady growth. And like I said, half the people listening to this, half the people reading Countercurrents have come to us since 2018. And that means that Charlottesville isn't ancient history for them. It's prehistory for a lot of those people. And, and this is why it's important to do things like this, because as P.T. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute. That's what the grifters are counting on. They, they go from disaster to disaster. And what sustains them? Well, they have a dedicated core of retards, right, who just, for whatever reason, there are large numbers of people in this thing who basically just want to be victimized and fleeced by sociopaths because I don't know, feels like they're doing something, I suppose. It's a form of pseudo community that they're experiencing, I guess. I don't know what it is, but it always bothered me. You know, people who would, who would sully their souls being free shills for sociopaths on the internet. It's like, this is your life, man. You only have one, one life and this is how you're spending it. It shocked me. So they have this, this like hardcore of shills. And then they probably have a few cynical, let's say handlers, you know, people in the establishment that might feed them a bit of money or, or stroke their ego from time to time just to keep destructive players in the game. But what they are also sustained by is huge influxes of naive new people. And I want to deny them. I want to deny Tommy Robinson any naive new people who might be sucked into his grift operation. If he's, if he's really back, then I want to poop that party. This is not a welcome back party. We're trying to poop the welcome back party, which is why we have party pooper pox on for one thing. But anyway, what you said there, Greg, is encouraging about, about the fact that half of your current audience is just coming in the last five years. Because, I mean, I've often thought the last few years seem like quite a difficult time. There's been a like, great deal of extra censorship. People, especially in, I don't know, yeah, in America and Britain, being arrested and in some cases put in prison for several years for completely innocuous podcasts. Oh, really, right. Despic- I mean, a few, anyway. A few people sort of... Uh, there's a guy called Charlie Big Potatoes. There's a guy called Sven Longshanks. There's, there's, these guys have yeah. they've not committed any crimes. It's ridiculous. But it's for what books they've got on their hard drives. Or, anyway, um, mm-hmm. but it's encouraging that you say that the audience is growing. And one thing I would just say about today, um, you know, it, it looks like a, a loss to the extent that the media get what they want. I, I, as I said at the start, I'm quite proud of those guys who faced off against the early in the day in order to get to the cenotaph. They faced off against the police. They told the police exactly what they thought of them. You are betraying your own country. Yeah, and, got, and, and they got to they got to do their their little demonstration. And I thought I, I'm quite pleased about that. But what I would say about today as well is, although the media and especially the likes of Nick Lowell's and Hope Not Hate and also Mark Rowley, who runs the uh, Metropolitan Police, a real enemy of all British people. Sadiq Khan, who's his boss, the mayor of London, again, should be deported immediately. Enemy. Um, like those guys are all, they're laughing. They feel like they've got a win. On the other hand, I would, I think when you speak of the real right or, or the potential real right or the people who are sort of, you know, attracted to the right in general, but don't know whether to go with us or don't know or haven't heard of us. And, but there's a big potential audience out there who are watching these things, but they just don't comment. They don't put any replies under videos. They don't in live chats. They're not involved in our scene, but they are nationalists in, in spirit. Um, there's a lot of people who've been watching today, I reckon, 
who will have been drawn more towards our side by what's happened because they don't really care that Tommy and his lads had a scuffle and some lads got arrested later in the day. They're not really interested in that. What they're interested in is the principle of the whole thing is that the Islamic march goes ahead and the media approves of that and they have a go at the people trying to demonstrate in favour of, you know, remembering the dead, the war dead, right? It's a bad look for the state. It's a bad look for the media, right? It's it's fun for Nick Lowell's. He's he's a, he's like a Jonathan Greenblatt sort of figure, but not Jewish. <laughs> but uh, it's fun for people like him today to be able to go. Yes, eighty guys have just been arrested. It's not gonna stop people sympathising with nationalism in general. I think today, on the broader scale, people who are not already involved in the scene, they'll be more drawn towards the patriotic side. I think. So it's not simply a disaster what happens today. It's like, yeah, it's annoying that we saw this trap. They walked right into it. But it's not a very big win for our enemies. And I think in the longer term, it actually makes the state and the government and the media look really bad. That obviously, yeah, like right now, there's people chucking fireworks at police and Channel mm-hmm. 4, state-controlled media, is telling us that that match was, that the, the, the Palestine march was entirely peaceful. So they're just lying in your face, knowing yeah. you know they're lying. That's not that's not a good that's not a good strategy. That's a loser strategy. They're they're on the back foot if they're doing that because they mm-hmm. don't do because it's stupid. So it's not as bad as it looks, in my opinion. And I'm no. I, I am quite proud of some of those guys for having a physical and masculine presence out there today. You know, like they yeah. they stood up and they looked the police in right in the eye and they and they they got their way. I, I'm I'm pleased about that. You know, just that little thing. It could have been terrible if somebody had been killed, well, yeah. right? It took, it took one car accident for uh, Charlottesville to be the deadly Unite the Right rally. And this could have been the deadly right wing you know, riot. And so we're, we, we lucked out, definitely. And there were, there were good points to it. And yeah, I, I'm hoping that people are just cynical enough. And that's, that's really what protects us. Before people become enlightened, in our sense, they become cynical about what the mainstream is saying, and they, they, they just don't believe their, their narratives. One thing that strikes me as very bad, though, about what happened today is that the deportation word now has a counter, because you can, you can, I can just imagine them saying, well, look, the real problem are these white British people, and we can't deport them. Right. And so it's just a way of taking the deportation discussion off the off the table. But but there's there's another thing that's 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 really sinister about this. And this is what's sinister about civic nationalism. A real nation is something that you have as a birthright. It's it's natal nationalism, natalism. They have the same root. It has to do with birth. You are born into a nation. It is yours by birthright. And of course, civic nationalism tries to just get rid of that. The term naturalization is interesting. Why do we talk about naturalizing a citizen? Well, because being a citizen is a natural relationship. It's a blood relationship. The, The idea of naturalizing somebody, well, you can't really do that anyway. Right, uh, you know, by mumbo jumbo or oaths or whatever. But the only sense in which an alien can be naturalized is if they're biologically compatible, and you could imagine them joining 
your greater national family, which of course that's gone way out the window for a long, long time. But civic nationalism says, no, you have a nation based on a creed, based on an oath, based on something that you choose. I was, I was adopted, right? And when I first heard that I was adopted, it was funny. I was in first grade and there was this family that had adopted four kids. And one of the girls was uh, a classmate of mine. And she knew that I had been adopted. Apparently her mother was like a social worker that was involved in adoption. And I didn't know when I went home to my mother and I said, I'm, I'm told that I was adopted. Is this, what am I to think about this? And she said, well, all these other children, they just came along, but we chose you. And even then I was six years old and I thought there was something peculiar about that. But that's liberalism, right? Liberalism says that natural relations are mere accidents, but choice is sacrosanct. If something is chosen, then it becomes important. Well, civic <laughs> nationalism is, is that attitude. It's like, well, these people, Tommy Robinson was really born in Great Britain. But Sadiq Khan chose to be British. <laughs> and to the liberal mind, and that's what we're dealing with, the default liberal processing, wiring program that people run on, if you choose it, it's somehow metaphysically different than if it's unchosen. It's somehow morally and metaphysically better. Okay, well, at this point, what civic nationalism does is it leads to the position that immigrants are better Britons than the people who are born there because they actually did something to become British. They actually chose to be British. You didn't choose to be British. It was just an accident of birth. They're more British than you. They they're more deserving than you. And it's, it's an incredibly insidious logic. There will come a time when commentators will say on some BBC show that the people who are born British they need to take a test to have their citizenship, or maybe they can be deported, right? Suddenly being born into a country will make you a second-class citizen. And implicitly it already does because you've got this liberal assumption that it's only good if it's chosen. It's only praiseworthy if it's chosen. And that's very insidious. It goes along with this Protestant assumption that it's only good if you work Right. You didn't work to become British. You were just born there. Right. You're, you're like you're on the dole. You got your citizenship on the dole, whereas Sadiq Khan worked for it. That's a very insidious ideology. Would you guys say that another thing that might be a positive development is that the uh, ability of the establishment to fear monger about the, about the so-called far right might be waning a bit? Now, I know that Charlottesville yes. was more of our guys get, uh, getting uh, out of hand and like really not being able to control their optics, whereas the, the, the thing that went on today was you know, definitely planned by controlled opposition. So they, there is a bit of a different nature of the two. But then again, you'd think that if, if the, the one that was planned, if the plan was to gin up fear over the far right, they would be going full bore. Now, I mean, we're seeing that here and there, but... It doesn't feel like this is a touchdown for the establishment the same way that something like January 6th or Charlottesville was. Are, are there, is their ability to fear monger about the far right starting to kind of wane? Yes. 
it, it looks more and more ridiculous all the time. I see normal people who would have been terrified of it two years ago mocking it now and willingly calling themselves far right. And then I look on their feeds and it's just bulldog and spitfire stuff. So really they're not. <laughs> they're actually quite compliant, but they're developing something of that rebel spirit. It's spreading, maybe not fast enough, but I, I think, you know, how many times can you say to the public implicitly what these Islamic hordes are doing in your country is fine because at least they're not far right. That just that's going to look more and more ridiculous. That's just a yeah. Um, I have some uh, questions. Funny. Yeah, I've got some questions and comments and donations here. So let's hop into so, those. Sorry, sorry, great. Just to, just just okay. To there. Just uh, there's a message for you in the private chat from Pox. You might want to see. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yes, Woes is here. Millennial Woes, welcome to the stream. This is a pleasant surprise. Hi, I've been listening to it. And it's really interesting discussion. And I just thought I, I might be able to add some thoughts of my own to it in, in response to what other people have said. Absolutely. Go ahead. Right. Well, I've, I've got some notes. First of all, I, the, what you were saying there about the how citizenship has to be earned, that this is something that's really come up over the last few years. And it was actually, we perhaps should have predicted that they would transfer to this because they've spent years uh, discrediting the idea of birthright and nationhood and so on, and uh, obviously lauding immigrants. And it, they've really just put those two things together now and said, well, actually, the immigrants are more British than you and more Swedish than you. you you're just you're just a uh, like genetic Swede. Justin Trudeau has outright said that immigrants to Canada are more Canadian than uh, people yes. than white people born in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Germans have this absolutely contemptuous term, Bio-Deutsche, oh, biologically right. German. And and it's used as, by leftists as a term of contempt. My God, it's just it's so grotesque. Um, so, yeah, that, that was just one, one thing I wanted to pick up on. Um, I, I noticed Nick Lowell's of Hope Not Hate on... Uh, on Twitter condemning Tommy Robinson and uh, there was a photo of him. He posted a photo of Tommy getting into a taxi and it, it reminded me of a Morgoth video from, it might've been a stream that he and I did together actually years ago, where he said that it's like a Tom and Jerry routine where Hope Not Hate and Tommy Robinson are chasing each other around a building endlessly, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> one trying to catch up with the other and it just goes on and on. And I, I think that it's all an act. I think that they, it's like a, a Punch and Judy show where Tommy Robinson is, is I, I, I'm not like, I've got, maybe I should be careful about legalities here, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's being paid by the state to do what he's doing. Uh, I do think that there was, there must've been some chicanery that got him back onto Twitter just in time to arrange this, because the numbers would certainly have been nowhere near as big uh, had he not been on Twitter to to make this call to action, as it were. So it seems very convenient indeed. And so then he, he shows up and does this and then immediately leaves. At 11.30, he, he, he was gone. And then the rest of the day, uh, his followers, his supporters uh, do the predictable stuff that they do. 
and the press get loads of photos and, and footage of them misbehaving. And almost instantaneously, the the headlines were out. The you know far right protesters clash with police, attack police, and so on. So they got they got it in just immediately. And I, I think what I, the point I want to make about Tommy Robinson and, and Nick Lowell's is that you you could easily believe that this is a genuine rivalry between the like, hatred between those two men. And maybe there is some, but I think just as much, it's true to say that they are working for the same master. And they feed off one another. Their careers feed off of one another. Oh, absolutely. It's symbiotic. But I think that they've got, I think they're working for the same people, basically. Well, remember a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2019, Lauren Southern and those two homosexuals, whose names I've forgotten, they were sitting down to drinks with the, with uh, Hope Not Hate. And, and they, they were buddying up to them and calling each other by their first, by their first names. And that was what's truly, going on here. That was a truly surreal episode. But those people were mental, mental cases, as, as far as I can tell, like complete sociopaths. And uh, yeah, for, for them, it's all just a game, a sort of pseudo celebrity thing. So yeah, that's a whole thing. But also for Tommy as well, I think it's largely uh, a celebrity thing as well. I think he enjoys the adulation. But I think over and above that, at this point, he's a state asset. I mean, yeah, if he's not, if he doesn't know that, he could still be a de facto state asset. Because the way I think a lot of these agencies work is they're looking for talent. They're looking for figures that emerge organically. And then what they'll do is they'll move in on them. Uh, sometimes they won't even, you know, buy them or officially bring them on board. But what happens is they'll give them a large donation, right? The, the handler will give them a large donation or become a confidant, mm. something like that. And so uh, what, what these people do is they, they get their attention, they get their gratitude, uh, and they feed their ego especially when they do bad things, they encourage them to do destructive things. They encourage them to, and and they also put money in their wallets. And so they might be de facto controlled by state or quasi-state establishment actors without even really knowing it. And, Mm -hmm. And they might actually sincerely believe their bullshit and still be state agents. Uh, I mean, and that's like the, that's the best secret agent of all. They're the often the last people to know <laughs> that they're working for the state, right? It's so secret he doesn't even know it himself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think I think Tommy would agree explicitly though to work with the state against us, against ethnics. Because he genuinely oh. I think he genuinely oh, absolutely. oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was just in a in a tizzy about uh, Keith Woods. <laughs> documenting his grifts and failings. Yeah, he hates he hates us, definitely. I have a, a, a few questions here, so let me just run through them because I want to thank everybody. Archie writes in with five US dollars. I suspect that many people like Douglas Murray and Tommy begin authentic, but benign breath shows up. It shows them conversation, eavesdropped on and signal promoted by Elon, which is suspicious, and photos of visits to Epstein's Islands and Swiss bank accounts. Yeah, uh, blackmail cannot be ruled out uh, in any of these people's cases. And in the case of Tommy Robinson, um, uh, apparently he he's irresponsible with money. 
Uh, it's sort of like Winston Churchill, who was bought out by certain interests because he was irresponsible with money. It's amazing how prominent people will betray their nations and their race for money. It's breathtaking that it actually happens. I can't imagine it happening, but it does happen. On Odyssey, we got $3 from Dino, who says, got to hit the road, we'll listen to the car. Thank you very much. Uh, we got a library token. Uh, Nick Lowell's of Hope Not Hate has already said that he had people embedded in all the groups today, probably telling someone pissed to, to throw something just so they get what they wanted, little goggle-eyed shit stain. Uh, yeah, well, uh, again, th this is the thing. Who is screwing whom? <laughs> uh, who's deceiving whom? There, there might be so many levels of state and non-state actors embedded in all these things, trying to hijack things, photobomb things. In a way, it's actually kind of a miracle that nobody was murdered. That's what they would have loved. They would have loved a death. They would have loved a James Field car accident. So this could be the deadly Armistice Day riots, the deadly English, white English yob Armistice Day riots. They would have loved that. And I, I'm glad that that didn't happen. That is a great bit of luck, stroke of luck. You know, I actually um, posted briefly some screenshots from uh, these types and Hope Not Hate and Owen Jones. And, 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 and they're like... And then uh, some time passed, maybe about half an hour, and then I, I deleted that uh, because I just felt like actually, no, that's what they want. They want uh, their framing of this event to go out. They want more eyes to be seen on on their framing of it and, and their propaganda, and, and it was a win for them. And so then I realized well, by me highlighting their narrative that they are forming, uh, it, it, and just to just to sort of say I told you so, um, actually that was not in service of our cause um, because that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted those photos of a, of a football hooligan thug getting beat by the police or throwing a punch at a cop. Um, and that's what they got. But this is like the whole point of the, the, the discussion is because people are going to say, you know, well, what, what do you say? So what, just do nothing, do nothing. Well, again, like we were saying last week, we'll do something, but do it wisely. Think yeah. about it before you do it. And again, like we said at the beginning, what would have happened had Tommy Robinson remained banned on Twitter, remained, you know, exiled in where he lives? I think he lives in Ibiza. Um, what would have happened? Where is Ibiza? Uh, the the it's on the Canary Islands. Oh, it's the Balearic <laughs> Islands. It's in Spain. Balearic, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, Balearic Islands. Yeah, he lives in Spain. He lives in he lives in Spain. Because but his grift is that he's exiled from the UK as like a political exile, oh, which is obviously not true because he's in London today. Um, no, he just lives with all the money that he's grifted. He lives on he lives on the beach. <laughs> yeah, he lives in a vacation uh, spot. He lives in a place that regular Britons go on vacation. And, and already mm -hmm. he was asking for donations for his next court case. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. just as, I think as soon as he was back on Twitter, I mean, it's astounding. It's completely shameless. But again, that goes to show the kinds of people that he appeals to, the kinds of people that he's that are going to read that 
uh, and that he's pitching towards are frankly not very bright. Uh, I'm sorry to say it, but this is the 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 common herd of of the British people, uh, the very football hooligan types. Um, I think, not, I think not it was just class, a, just you know, because it, it wouldn't be fair to say working class because the, the I think hmm, a lot of them don't work. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Sorry, Paul. Well, hold on, hold on. I want to play devil's advocate a bit here because I did see a lot of people on Twitter in the replies to our guys um, on even on Telegram and some in in some chat groups and things. Okay, they are all saying, "Well, what?" Should, what's your solution then? What should we have done? Nothing and just let these foreigners disgrace and dishonor our sacred sites and our memorial and the memory of our uh, fallen heroes. And listen, sometimes uh, our thing does have this, uh, is perceived, I should say rather, as being a bit too, um, too philosophical and not, practical enough. So I think it is worth, now that we're all here and we're, we're talking about it, I think it is worth addressing the concerns of the people who did either go out there or felt uh, sympathy and, and, and a shared desire to go out there uh, today because they believe that we have to do something and it's not good We've enough to just do something. pontificate. Yeah, yeah. Right? we've got to do something, but like Hippocrates said, First, do no harm. Uh, the, the first rule of medicine is do no harm. The first rule of politics is do something. We've got to do something. But uh, oftentimes the stuff that you do in politics is harmful. And we have to be careful. Why? Because the system is against us. We have very few opportunities. We have, uh, you know, we, we don't get a fair shake in court. We don't get fair shakes by the media and so on. We've got to take all of these disabilities and disadvantages that we bear into account and we've got to be smart when we do something. So we can't just do something. We have to first do no harm. And in this case, it was so obviously a trap. Now, now Horace said, yeah, there are some people who showed up and behaved in a dignified way at the Cenotaph. Fine. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to say that they were in a trap or whatever, but, you know, following Tommy Robinson just screamed trap, trap, fed, fed. I, I don't like it when people immediately go run to the fed thing. Okay. Even in Tommy Robinson's case, I, I, I'm going to defend and say, well, we don't really know. Uh, but if he didn't exist, the feds would create an equivalent you know, uh, yeah, I, I think that's one thing that that nobody has mentioned yet uh, that I think is also really dis uh, depressing about this entire situation is what this is all overshadowing is that it wasn't it supposed to be Armistice Day in the UK? Wasn't it supposed to be a day where British people remember the their the, those who fell during wars? I mean, it's the same. More thing. than eight hundred thousand people died in the First World War from Great Britain, and absolutely yeah, like, shocking. I mean, yeah. one thing one thing that to say about uh, this entire situation is uh, both what multiculturalism does to nations, but also just this like hyper uh, politicization of everything and and these like fake 
political frame games with Tommy Robinson and uh, everything. And then, you know, th this pro-Palestine march, which is basically a march of loyalty to foreigners. I mean, the whole, like, what, what I find most frustrating about this whole Israel-Palestine issue in the West is basically it's people arguing over which group of foreigners we're supposed to be loyal to. You know, what's, what's really just horrible about all of this is that Western countries can't even have a normal day where people uh, partake in one of their national traditions, in this case, to honor their war dead. Uh, you know, something that also happened today, which is a lot more positive, was that Poland had their Independence Day march. And that one looks like it, it went a lot better than everything else. And it's just, well, Western Europe and North America, we can't have these things anymore. We can't have normal apolitical traditions, which are just to commemorate us and our nations because, well, they've been turned into these uh, multicultural political battlegrounds and everything is hyper hyper politicized. And what's lost in all of that is the things that you'd have by just having a normal, healthy, homogenous nation. Yeah, you can't have any particularity anymore if your nation has been declared for everyone. And that's what civic nationalism does. Again, it says anybody can be British, which means like, that being British means nothing. Anymore. Like the idea a century ago, the idea that in, let's say, 1923, that Armistice Day would be this big political thing and that there'd be groups warring over which other, which foreign, like it just seems like that would never happen. There's no way that it could, that could happen in a healthy society because this is something which people were united on. I'm sure everyone yeah. back then probably knew someone who died in the war and it was a day that was of, of great importance to them. But now, I mean, that's just long gone. It's just the entire West is a political battleground now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Greg, can I make a few more points that I Yeah, made? absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry it's a bit uh, crude, but I wanted to make them because I wrote them down here. Um, I'd agree with Horace that Tommy Robinson genuinely hates us. And, and you know, even if he is a state asset or a Fed or whatever, which I'm not saying he is, um, I, I still think he, he genuinely he would uh, disagree with our politics. I think he genuinely does hate the nationalism as such, uh, both for personal and ideological reasons. The personal reasons are that he sees us as rivals. And there's always this threat that his followers could be seduced by genuine nationalism. So it's a sort of inconvenience for him. But also ideologically, I think he he probably thinks, well, I might be a, a, a thug and a football hooligan and uh, you know, riffraff and all that, but at least I'm not racist. That's probably his thinking on a lot of this. So when he sees the people that he, he would call racist, you know, nationalists, it's like, at least I can feel superior to them. And at least I can point my followers against them. I think that's one thing. Um, another thing Pox asked earlier, what is the role that Tommy Robinson plays? I think the system knows that uh, there's a certain segment of working class men, again, the football hooligan types, who have a lot of energy a lot of aggressive energy, especially when their society is corrupt and they know it's corrupt and they feel that they're not getting justice, they're not, etc. They're not getting treated fairly. So Tommy Robinson's job is simply to soak up that energy from those men and misdirect it. And as Greg said, I think if if he didn't exist, the system would have invented someone like him in order to do this. Because when you, especially when you in the era of Rotherham and Telford and Ro Rochester and so on you are going to have a lot of angry men. 
So you're going to have to have something that they can do, something that you can, some holding pen for them. And uh, so I think this is the function that Tommy Robinson plays. One other point that I wanted to make, I will also say that Douglas Murray, I agree with the various comments that have been made about him. I think he's absolutely contemptible and loathsome. And that after encouraging this protest today, he, he was in Israel. I mean, it, you couldn't make it, you just could not make it up that you would do something like that. But the other point I wanted to make was about the Palestinian side, the pro-Palestine peace march, because remember a week ago or 10 days ago when this was first announced that they were going to protest on Armistice Day, the immediate reaction was disgust and anger towards them, towards the pro-Palestine people, because they were going to cheapen, they were disrespecting our traditions, they were going to cheapen it, and possibly vandalize the cenotaph. I, th I think that idea was manufactured by the media, that, that they said that that could happen theoretically, they could vandalize the cenotaph. Um, and either way, it seemed disrespectful. So that initial, and that was happening in, amidst the whole you know, Gaza conflict with Israel. So the initial thing was that the pro-Palestine side were the villains. And it's interesting that what happened here was that the British state then manufactured a different villain to replace that one, uh, namely the Tommy crowd. I find that very interesting because it means, and now it's even gone further than that, and the, the press are saying that the Palestine side was very peaceful today. So it, the Zionist side should, in theory, be disappointed by this because their enemies, the, the pro-Palestine side, is being lauded and, and was well-behaved, and their golem, Tommy and his crowd, are being demonized. So that's an interesting development, I think. And that's all of my notes. Yeah, but it's also worth noting that the Zionist side can very easily brush off the Tommy crowd as, oh, well, they're the far right. They're not. It's, a, mm. I don't, it's very easy for them to disassociate with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Is Leaving that... aside the optics, you'd think that they would want people on their side. You know, they're being pro-Zionist. Did you see uh, some, some of the people that were boosting the um, the the counter protest of the uh, Tommy Robinson crowd? Constantin Kissin, oh, Radio, yeah, uh, Radio Genoa, which has uh, revealed itself to be quite like the the, the Visegrad twenty four account as well, just suddenly very pro Israel. Um, in a way that you <laughs> didn't didn't see in, uh, before October 7th, and then suddenly after October 7th, it's like, oh, uh, is this account run by Israelis? I mean, Visegrad 24 has even taken the flags of the Visegrad countries out of its bio. Uh, <laughs> well, like this, this account sounds like a parody of some Republican politician groveling mm -hmm. to Israel, yet it's it purports to be a 24-hour news source for Central Europe. Well, they've taken that out of their bio as well. So they've removed the flags. They've also changed their bio, which used to be about, you know, something like, you know, your premier, a premier uh, source for news about the Visegrad. Now it just says, you know, some bland generic uh, description. I've been spamming uh, in their in their replies as often as I, as I can remember to do it whenever I see. I don't even I don't even follow them, but I, I because I interact with them once, I guess I, I am now spammed Visegrad 24. Uh, posts and every time I see one, I just reply, uh, "Excellent reporting on the Visegrad. Keep it up." 
Yeah. <laughs> because they have not been reporting on the Visegrad at all for the, you know, for over a month. It's just been all Israel. Yeah. These were, the, these were the accounts that were um, trying to, I suppose, uh, boost the, the, the Tommy Tarts today. Um, they were saying, you know, British patriots uh, break through a, poli a police uh, barrier. Uh, England lives. Uh, the British British patriots uh, stand up for, you know, uh, take take to the streets of London. Uh, hero Tommy Robinson rallies the troops. Constantine Kissin uh, replied to the Metropolitan Police's uh, X account by highlighting the um, the two tier policing uh, that exists there. Um, because the the Met Police made a statement saying that um, if the counter protesters uh, who are now on the move try to make their way towards the Palestinian march, we will do everything. We will we will utilize all of our resources and tactics to make sure that doesn't happen. So Kissin responded, "Oh, suddenly you realize that you have resources and tactics to to keep you know protesters in line because the Met Police had not been doing that." with the Palestinian protests. So, I mean, it was interesting to see those accounts boosting and, and trying to put a positive spin on the, the Tommy group and their antics today. I just thought it was very curious. You know, I, it, like, I, I also have been thinking about them a lot lately too. And, and it kind of goes into like what I was talking about earlier, the whole like uh, alt-light, civic nationalist, center-right charade that's been going on for several years, which, you know, I mentioned might be declining. That Visegrad group uh, Twitter account, um, it built its following off the back of this ma-based Poland meme, which, you, which these types, you know, types like Tommy Robinson or Lauren Southern would have been promoting back in the day. And you just think about the amount of commitment someone would have to do like it, i again i don't know if these people actually are israelis who are running it i'm open to the idea that that could be the case or they could just be uh they could just be like paid chills or whatever but you know someone would have had to put a ton of work into like pandering to a right-wing nationalist leaning audience for uh, several years and uh even like uh focusing in on like a, a group of nations in europe and reporting on all that and was that was all of that done just to promote Zionism? Like, I, I wonder, uh, it's just incredible. It's like what I was saying earlier about how all of these different framings are being set up for Tommy Robinson, just how much PR goes into all of this. I mean, another I thing I just endeavor, or it could even be something, it could be something even more insidious, which is that this, the sort of um, what we see very strongly in in the american right the, the republicans in america that that adoration of israel is seeping into european politics and this oh, is something God, that i, I have know. spoken about which is that even not it's sorry it's it's happened in in british politics as, as well and, and britain has a long history with uh, zionist jews um but continental european politics is becoming increasingly americanized and therefore uh zionized um what a horrible you know, thought yeah yeah there's, uh, been... We, we, there's been you know matteo salvini in italy uh george meloni uh having their photo ops with the israeli flag and going to israel and bigging up their dedication and their staunch unconditional supporters i mean they talk like republican politicians from america mm -hmm. and so 
if now this Visegrad account is suddenly, you know, just completely going 100% dedication to covering and, and, and promoting uh, Israel, um, it could be that it's an account that's been, that has been run by Israelis all this time, or uh, potentially even something worse, it's that um, Polish or uh, Czech politics is becoming uh, Zionized in, in a yeah. sort of American way. Another thing that I saw on Twitter, I just checked it re uh, a few minutes ago, was that there's a picture that Tommy Robinson posted of himself in a MAGA hat, in a Make America Great Again Donald Trump hat at this rally in Britain, which is supposed to be for their war memorial for a presidential campaign, which happened uh, several years ago. And for a guy who hasn't been president for the last three years, you know, like I just get this feeling with Tommy Robinson that it's all like this, this just this PR, like from this, you know, center-right, Sivnat uh, PR perspective. And it just seems all so fake because now like they're, they're, they're like we met, I met, we said earlier that this all feels like 2018 again. He's bringing out the hat from 2017, 2018 again. And it's just like the guy just, I would, no, I'm not saying that he's a state asset, but um, it just feels like everything with Tommy Robbins, his entire persona is just like this PR spin. Oh, Greg, sorry, I'm going to have to jump off. I hope you don't mind. Um, thanks very much for having me on. And uh, uh, Horace, thank you so much. Can you just tell folks how to follow your work before you go? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Infinite Horace on Twitter, and there you will see my all my links. Links. So that's. Uh, I think I've started a Substack as well. Actually, that's not on there, but my Substack is Eternal Horus. There'll be a new piece up in a few weeks. I'm working on something. So yeah. Fantastic. So great to have you on. So nice to meet you. And you've really added a lot. So I very much appreciate it. Good to meet you, Greg. And uh, thanks, everyone. Have a good weekend, all right? Cheers. Have a good night. So, yeah, let's let's go on a little further. Uh, I, I want to mention uh, this topic of the bad marriage again. Because I wrote a piece called Irreconcilable Differences, the Case for Racial Divorce. Uh, and, and just using a bad marriage and, and how it uh, can be dissolved through divorce as a model for the future of race relations in multicultural societies. Namely, we have to go our separate ways. We're happier. We're, we'll be happier. We'll be better off. One of the things, though, that you get in bad marriages is you get this gaslighting uh, that you don't have any right to be happy. You don't have any right to separate from me, right? I hate you, don't leave me. I hate you, don't leave me. Uh, it, it's this parasitism. Uh, and there's a lot of that kind of gaslighting and manipulation and borderline personality disorder type behavior uh, in the, the, the abusive Jewish-Gentile relationship. Uh, when you think about the, the, what anti-whiteness is uh, and, and, and anti-white nationalism in the broadest sense, it's not just white nationalism, capital W-N, but nationalism or self-assertion in any form for white people, white people being alone. Uh, we're told that white people trying to be on their own is the root of all evil. Uh, and it's, it's especially bad for Jews, and we can't do that uh, anymore, uh, you know, because 
it's bad for Jews. And we don't have any right to do anything that might be good for ourselves if Jews don't approve of it and they don't want us off on our own. Uh, and I, I think that that kind of gaslighting uh, and manipulation is very much part of what you can call abusive relationships. And I think it would be very interesting uh, to expand on this. And, and I've been using this language for a while. Uh, I think that the relationship of Gentiles and Jews in the West is that Jews are an abusive spouse and they don't want to let us alone. They don't want to let us go our own way. Uh, they, they want to cling to us, but weaken us and poison us and put us down and make us feel like we have no right to be happy. Uh, well, yeah, I, I totally agree. And obviously, um, when, when the comment was made about feminine ways of doing things and feminine application of power, I mean, that really, uh, resonates with me. I think that's a very apt, uh, metaphor. Um, and it's also why I think, you know, going back to the people who ask, well, what's your solution or what should we do? Um, you know, the people who sometimes think that uh, we're going to shoot our way out of this problem or we're going to fisticuffs our way out of this problem that we're in, um, that is the masculine approach. Um, it's understandable and somewhere in the white world, uh, that's going to happen, sure. Uh, but I think that it would benefit us a great deal if we understood like a man in, a, in, in an abusive marriage, if we understood how to deal with this abusive spouse in a way that does not involve punching her in the face because that means that we end up spending the night in jail all the time and we don't advance our cause and we don't uh, end up being happy and living well. So I think there's a lot to be said for, um, a lot to be said in favor of understanding how to navigate this abusive relationship and understanding how to use feminine means of power. Um, because I also just think that we don't really live right now in an age where masculine energy and the, the Aryan warrior spirit is, um, it takes precedent. Uh, I think that that age kind of died with, uh, it ended with the second world war. Um, and I, I think even going forward that the, the, the age we're in the coming age is it's one that, that does not look positively at, um, you know, masculine or uh, warrior uh, means of resolving problems and, and conflicts. It, we're in an age now where you have to use your wits, you have to use your brains, you have to use manipulation, lies, uh, political witchcraft, as Guido Taedi put it. Uh, you know, that sort of thing I think is is much more useful right now. So it's, it's definitely something that our guys should keep in mind. Well, what well I would say, go ahead. Yeah. What I would say is that like all the, all the controlled opposition uh, set up aside for the average guy who might've gone out to London today, 
because he was, uh, well, he was outraged at the idea that there'd be a bunch of foreigners uh, marching around and uh, the, the war memorial to their war, to Britain's war dead. I think that uh, what I'd say to someone like that is don't get carried away with pride. Now I get it. It's, it's outrageous. It's, it's infuriating that uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, system uh, grunts are allowed to uh, basically uh, ritually uh, humiliate us and destroy the things that we care about. I mean, Charlottesville was the same thing. Charlottesville was uh, a rally in, uh, to protest the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I, again, I totally understand that. I totally understand being outraged by uh, this uh, desecration of our heritage. However, I think it's also important to know it's important to know the position that we're actually in. You know, if you're if you're an if you're a lots if you're a smaller army going up against a much bigger army, you don't just do a full frontal assault uh, because not because doing other uh, because not doing so would be dishonorable. You also have to understand that um, you know you have to understand that in a situation like this, you're not gonna. Um, you're not going to fight your way uh, through the establishment. You'll get absolutely crushed because they have all the power and you don't. There, there are ways to to resist this stuff, and you know, hopefully, if it's if it's all done right in the future, we will have uh, our monuments again. We'll have our national celebrations again, which uh, go along without the harassment from a bunch of dis, a bunch of hostile foreigners. But um, I think it's just important to know. Uh, to actually know the strength and know that and to, to like Sun Tzu said, know your, know your, you know, your own army and know when, you know, you really can't win that battle. And in terms of going out to London and showing down with the police and go, going up against these uh, anti-white protesters, I, I don't know to what degree that actually happened. It's just not a battle that uh, people in our position can win right now. So yeah. you got to choose, you got to choose the battles wisely. I understand yeah. the feeling, but you got to be wise about it. Yeah. The old saying discretion is the better part of valor. I think it's important. Uh, and you don't have to cast this as feminine wiles either. It's just the higher masculine reasoning faculty imposing itself upon Thumas, right, that just wants to get out there and do something and fight. Uh, you've only got one life. You have to be careful about how you spend it. Uh, you have to be careful when you fight to make sure that it's a fight you can win. Otherwise, you're just annihilating yourself for no good reason. And so I do think that we need to always bear bring that to mind that yes uh we are in a fight i mean what we're doing is a war <laughs> uh we're we're fighting a war for the future of our race and civilization and it's not a war where the fronts are easy to define because we've been occupied by our enemies for a very long time they're everywhere they're all around us and Therefore, we can't fight in old-fashioned ways. We can't go out like hoplites in a phalanx, right? Uh, the battle lines are not so clear, uh, but we do have to fight, and we have to fight intelligently and appropriately so that we actually win. And this is an example where fighting instincts 
we're being misused and misdirected. Uh, and it's not a battle that we can win. The battle that we can win is, first of all, moral and intellectual, and we're fighting it right now. Uh, but we can't beat these people in terms of battling on the streets yet. Before we can do that, we have to have more people on our side and fewer people on their side. And we also have to lay up provisions and have contingency plans and things like that so that when our armies go into the field, they can feed themselves. There, there are hospitals to, to treat the wounded uh, or, or in, in the case of the battles that we're going into, lawyers <laughs> to, to help the wounded, right? Uh, we need to have those provisions in place. When uh, Charlottesville was coming up, I made a couple of discreet inquiries. I talked to one of the guys who was involved in organizing it, not J Jason Kessler. It was another person, another person who was actually a lawyer. And I talked to him briefly and I said, you know, it's really great that a lawyer like you is involved in this. So you can tell everybody who's involved, who goes to this, what they should do. Should there be an encounter with the police? Uh, how did, how to basically secure your rights in this kind of situation. And he said, well, actually that had never occurred to us. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> this can't end well. They're not making the necessary provisions. Uh, they're not. So what was this purpose there then? Uh, well, the purpose was, uh, the purpose was to, all get together and be tough and and no, no, no. stand. But, but yeah. What was his purpose as a lawyer? Oh no, he was just involved. Uh, he was involved because he was uh, passionately attached to the cause, and it hadn't occurred to him that his lawyering skills might come in handy, and that maybe he should provide a little circular or a bulletin or something to everybody about what to do if they should should encounter the police. For instance, a different lawyer was there. I won't mention his name. And he realized that the police were walking around mumbling out something. They were making some kind of proclamation. They were walking around going, rrr, 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 and just mumbling something out. He got close enough to realize they were reading the riot act. Okay, once they read the riot act, if, they, if you're in their field of vision, they can arrest you. And so he said, oh, okay, we got to get out of here now. They're reading the riot act. This, could, this is going to get serious. If the, if the thing had been properly organized, everybody would have known to be on the lookout for something like that because that is the legal prelude to them cracking down on you and arresting you. So, but, and, and what to do when you are arrested, if you are arrested, what to say or not to say. It's just a few basic things that everybody going to a protest should know. And it hadn't occurred to this guy who was one of the organizers to actually do that. And I thought, uh-oh, this isn't going to go well. And it didn't go well. But, but the point is, is that when we're in this kind of war, there's a lot of preparation that has to go uh, into it. Just contingency planning to this. This is how you do this intelligently. And a lot of the the activism that goes on, especially something that's whipped up on Twitter, doesn't necessarily have any of that planning. And, and therefore, it really is a trap. And you, you can't fault the people 
who participate for courage or patriotism, they don't lack those. You fault them for being too trusting in their leaders. And you fault the leaders for not using these people's energies and lives because they're putting their lives out there uh, on the line. They're not using these wisely and sparingly. Again, the, the, the discretion is lacking. And, and that's, that's a very bad thing. And, and people like us who are commentators and have influence, it's, it falls to us to, to warn people uh, about these kind of agitators who create these traps, even, even if they're not intending to create a trap. Uh, they, they, they just do it through their own stupidity and negligence. Uh, and if the establishment wants to create a trap, they just release one of these clowns, right? They get them out there uh, cheerleading for some kind of con uh, confrontation. So yeah, uh, I, I, I want to put it differently. I don't want to talk about masculine versus feminine energy, although there's definitely a lot of feminine wiles and uh, energy in the, in, the, in the enemy. What our side lacks is not feminine energy, if you will. It, it lacks the higher part of, of the soul, which is reason. And it's reason in the form of discretion imposing itself on Thumas that creates true courage, right? That, that hits the mark rather than just uh, turns into uh, a waste of life, for instance, or uh, a cowardly debacle one way or the other. It, it, you, you've got to have that rational insight to, to be truly courageous. Yeah, the, uh, the, the Globe and Mail in Canada just uh, released a headline saying thousands peacefully march in London in support of Palestinians as right-wing protesters clash with the police. You know, it just feels like <laughs> who, who could have seen this coming? So uh, I think, uh, well, <laughs> no, everyone saw this coming. Yeah, but this goes back to the point I made earlier that the Zionist side is looking like the thugs here. Yeah, but none of us are any, any the better, though. No, of course it does, not. It, does, no. it didn't say Zionist protesters. It said the it said no. right wing protesters. But it yeah. is the people opposing the enemies of the, the Zionists. Mm -hmm. Is this perhaps then another element of woke putting the Zionism away? I think that could be. I think that could be part of it because well, the organizer, the organizer of the Palestinian uh, marches, is a Jew. Yes, I know. It's like layers upon layers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, I mean, I, I, we're all aware that, you know, yeah, Jews, uh, wherever they are, um, they vote as a monolith. They believe things uh, monolithically. But of course, we also know that, yeah, if you have, you know, what's the famous saying? If you have two Jews in a room, you get three opinions. And Regarding the question of Zionism and, and uh, Israeli nationalism, uh, Jews living in Israel and diaspora Jews, they, there is difference of opinion on the, the Zionist question. Ever since the very beginning of the idea of Zionism, there were Jews who were opposed to it for all sorts of reasons. And there are Jews uh, who aren't fans of Netanyahu and they aren't uh, fans of, you know, gung-ho Israeli nationalism. Um, you know, these are your, 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 uh, your left-wing progressive Jews. Um, 
it's, it's a very interesting thing. It's a very uh, uh, intriguing thing to you know, wrap your head around. Um, I mean, just go on, just go on X and look at some of the the, the many uh, well followed big uh, Jewish accounts, um, Jewish users who are pro Palestinian and who are, um, you know, they they are vocally opposed to Israel, and yet they are Jewish. And so um, this could be, you know, part of, I think, I spoke briefly about, you know, the age that we're living in. I would not be surprised. And I, I the more I observe, I, I think I'm, I'm more convinced that in the coming years, we are going to see even Israeli nationalism is going to be turned into some sort of taboo. The future that these people uh, in the very top echelons of power the world they are trying to manufacture is one of basically global governance and global unity and um, community. And so you can't have nations, you can't have nationalism, you can't have tribalism, and you certainly can't have the kind of Netanyahu uh, Zionism uh, because it just stands out like a sore thumb, you know, everywhere else in the world, everywhere else in the West, especially, is being molded into this multicultural, multiracial utopia, Coca-Cola commercial. And then here we have Israel bombing 10,000 Palestinians to death uh, and, and in the name of, and, and it looks like uh, it's all in, in the name of annexing territory. Um, they're planting Israeli flags in Gaza now. But I thought the I thought they were just trying to kill Hamas terrorists. Well, no, it looks like they're they're conquering Gaza. You can't have that. So I think that that you know the Zionists kind of looking like thugs because Tommy Robinson went out and with the with the the hooligans, the football guys. Is is it another step in the direction of liberal progressivism, uh, putting even Zionism away? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's what I wrote my article about last week. Oh, sorry, Endeavor. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's basically, that was basically my point of uh, the article that I wrote uh, about a week or two ago. Go ahead, boys. I mean, one other thing is that we shouldn't forget that Tommy Robinson's supporters were pictured with stars of David, uh, you know, the Israeli flag, uh, at least once today. Um, they, you know, that, that was released quite quickly. So there is an association being made between his side here today and Israel. Um, but I'm not, you know, to be clear, I'm not saying that the, 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 the Zionism is being disgraced today. Obviously, it's British far right that's being disgraced today, even though they're not far right. But let's leave that aside. The narrative is that they are the far right and they are the ones being disgraced today. But my my point is that their opponents were the pro-Palestine crowd. And the pro-Palestine crowd are the enemies of Zionism. So that's it's just interesting to me. It's like the system is uh, destroying or discrediting one of its assets. Um, or rather, there's, you know, if assuming Zionism is, is in control of Britain, then Zionism is discrediting one of its assets today. So that implies either... Well, that implies that Zionism is not in, in charge here. So I just think there are different uh, factions here, honestly. 
And uh, yeah, I agree. I'm glad they're fighting. Uh, I, I I love that they're fighting. And isn't it hilarious that two factions of basically Jews uh, and uh, and are, are fighting, and one of them has cloaked itself in the British far right, and of course the British far right's getting the negative headlines. That's a scream. Uh, but isn't that always the way it works? And isn't that especially the way it works with the with the Jewish right and the center right parties uh, as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, as someone just said in the live chat, it's like no one like British nationalism comes out at the bottom of all this. You know, the yeah. <laughs> crowd are looking good. The Zionists yeah. are looking good uh, relatively, and yeah. and the British far right looks like a bunch of thugs. So, yeah, and of, and of course, there's a long history of especially Jewish narrative weavers being able to make the Europeans always look bad and being able to project their own sins onto Europeans, whether it's slavery or supremacist views. Um, you know, there's a there's always this projection. There's always this way that they have of making Europeans look like the guilty party for the things that they themselves were the ones doing. Or, you know, like think about the war on terror, like the entire yeah, narrative yeah. back then was that it was uh, straight white Christian males, men from the American South going off to kill a bunch of uh, Muslims because they wanted oil. That was the narrative back then. <laughs> you know, nothing about uh, the state of Israel even factored that, into it. That was, the re re that was the sort of rebellion narrative. You know, I remember seeing it in Family Guy that it, oh, it's really about oil. So that was, if you were a bit edgy, that was what you believed, that it was really about oil. The, mm -hmm. the mainstream narrative was it was for freedom. And because Saddam was involved in 9-11 somehow, or he, he helped Al-Qaeda or something like that. That was, the mainstream narrative was that. The rebel narrative was, it's, it's actually about oil. American capitalism going after the yeah. oil. And, and, it, and like, you know, George, the, the real answer was it's about, it's about Israel. <laughs> but they had, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, with them putting the the white the a white face at the front of the movement. You know, it was George W. Bush, the white evangelical from Texas, who was the uh, at the front to to basically take the brunt of the criticism for it all. Mm. Yeah. Well, guys, we've been going at this uh, for two and a half hours, so I I'd like to wrap up. Uh, I just want to see if there are any more questions. Uh, folks, if you want to get your last minute entropy questions, comments, donations, and please do. Uh, the Enrib has written in with 10 US dollars. When the Judas goats say walk into an obvious trap, we, and we say no. Uh, when they retort, so we shouldn't, we should do nothing then? What are you doing? Well, one thing we are not and should not be doing is walking into an obvious trap. What we do, what we do, what is effective educate, ride, and build communities. I think that's nicely put. Let's see if there are some other donations that have popped up. Norse Nature has donated one diamond. Great discussion like usual. Thanks, guys. And he's uh, added another diamond as well. So we very much appreciate that. So next week on Countercurrents Radio, I'm going to have Matt Parrott and... I hope another distinguished panel of people. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're just going to have fun. We are going to share our favorite cringe Richard Hanania tweets and just yuck it up. And anybody can send in their, their favorite Hanania cringe uh, if they'd like to. 
Uh, and I, I think it'll be just a fun stream. And if any of you gentlemen in the panel would like to join in, you're most welcome. Uh, so that's what's going to happen next week on Countercurrents Radio. Guys, let's wrap up by promoting your work and how people can follow you. So, Woes, you joined last. So why don't you tell us, if people don't know, how they can follow Millennial Woes? Oh, uh, well, thanks for allowing me on uh, towards the end there. Um, people can find me on Telegram. I'm on Twitter, X, and Substack. And I've got my own website, millennialwoes.com. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and I'm on Odyssey and BitChute as well, obviously, as well. But you can find all that on my website. Thank you. And, of course, Millennial, which is a great uh, community yeah. tradition now, is coming up very, very soon. Yes, yes, indeed. And all three of you will hopefully be appearing. <laughs> Wonderful, yeah. Uh, and uh, when does that start? And is the schedule uh, announced yet? No, the schedule won't be published until I think the 5th of December. Ah, okay. So, uh, yeah. Well, this is the teaser trailer then. Yeah. Uh, Millennial will be coming up starting yeah. in on early the 10th, December. On, on the 10th of December. Wonderful. That's when it's going to start through to the the 24th and then there will be one stream a day until the 30th yeah the 30th which will be the Morgoth stream wonderful Pox how do people follow your work well you can uh, read my Substack. it's called Pox Populi uh, as well um, my telegram channel uh, Pox underscore Populi and then on X at Pox's Foxes Excellent. And he's a frequent contributor at Countercurrents as well, both text and audio. So Endeavor, how do people follow your work? Well, you can still find me on YouTube. I still haven't lost my YouTube channel, thankfully. Uh, I'm publishing on Substack now. I've written several exclusive articles there. And some of my articles have also been republished on Countercurrents, which I, I think... Uh, Want to thank Greg for that because it's a good way to get my help get my work out there. Uh, I'm also on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I've got I've been a bit more active there of late, and I'm still on Alt Tech, Telegram, Odyssey, and the like. Well, thank you all. I want to thank everybody out there listening. We had more than 300 people at the peak, which is really nice. Again, we will be back next week with a sort of party stream, our Richard Hanania Cringe Fest. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I want to thank our moderators for helping out. I want to thank the donors for donating. It's uh, very kind of you. We got a little bit closer to that $1,000 matching grant today. And we will be back next week with another episode of Countercurrents Radio. 